What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, you know, again and again. Every Thursday we're recording it. Every Friday you're seeing it, unless we got an international thing. But either way, every week you're seeing us. Thank you for coming and hanging out again this week. Uh, thanks to the subscribers. Thank you to all the people that are telling your friends. All that shit. Keep spreading that shit, dude. Uh, Casey, Joel, and Joseph with me as always, my resident homies. Um, dude, you guys... I'm fucking super excited for this episode, dude. I, I just couldn't believe it when we when we figured out that this was going to go down. We have <laughs> the fucking legend himself, Derek Roddy, on the show with us today. What's going on, Derek? Hey, how you doing, man? We're doing great, dude. Now that you're here with us, dude, this is this is just like uh, nostalgia and 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 you know you have your list of musicians that you wish that you would you have met and now i get to finally meet you on my show so it's like it's it's a super win dude and i'm i'm thank you so much for your time dude and yeah dude Derek roddy on the fucking cali death podcast guys thank you anthony that's cool man glad to be here yeah man good to see you Yeah. yeah awesome so KC, I haven't <laughs> seen KC actually in person. I haven't seen you since when we were talking about it earlier. When 2006? Yep. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's well, a long that time. At? Where was that? Yeah, at? What was going on for that? I don't know. There's a sonar clinic, I think. And yep. where? He, he, yeah, San Jose? No. Yep. Yeah. He was doing a drum clinic in San Jose. Okay. And yeah. It was, and it was, yeah. So I went out. It was so sick. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a good time. Is it yeah. just like uh, a, the clinic? So you're on stage, people are in an audience, and you're just doing your Derry Ro- Derek Roddick thing for a fucking hour <laughs> or two. I, I reckon, yeah. Yeah? I don't even know what that was. It was. I mean, it's always different. That's the thing about doing that stuff, especially if you don't have any kind of – I never really went out like having a planned thing for clinics because I just learned over time you can plan to your blue on the face, and it never – it's never the same, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I always kind of let the crowd dictate how it's going to go. And if it goes, it goes, that's cool. If not, whatever, you know, it's, it's fine. So, but that yeah. was a good night. I remember that night. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, I mean, your drumming is uh, something that is very important and uh, real to a lot of us and a lot of the people that are like us from our generation. I mean, Black Seeds of Vengeance. Uh, that was what I m- wanted to get to into tonight for sure is one of the most um, important moments in my early, early metal self was 15, 16 years old going to, and I've already mentioned it on the show maybe once or twice. I've mentioned it when we talked to Dallas too, but Great American Music Hall, Cradle of Filth, Nile, God forbid. And I can't remember who else was on that bill. But were you drumming that that tour? No, never played drums for Nile Live. Really? Okay. Oh, wow. so yeah, yeah, yeah. Just recorded that album. Yeah, I you know, that was a fluke. Um I, I've known Carl since and Pete, the original drummer, and Chief for that matter. I mean, we met in the late eighties, early nineties, and they were a South Carolina band. I was in Columbia at the time and they were Greenville, which is like an hour and a half away. But we were doing shows together, and I remember, um, I remember Nile before they were Nile when they were Mariah, mm. which is a fucking killer band. Like if you guys look that stuff up, it's it's really cool. Like Carl was the stuff that Carl was playing that was 
Was it still Egyptian influenced or was it? Um, no, not really. It was more of a, I don't know. It had its own theme, you know, just as now. Could you repeat the band name for me, please? What was the band name again? Mariah. Mariah, that like a woman. Mariah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. I, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> well, I that's like they, the first reference that came to my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think they, I think it's spelled a little differently. I can't remember offhand. I don't, dude, it's been a long time. Like, it's talking about. 88, 89, you know, even wow. earlier, 87, you know. That'd be so. crazy to find some demo tapes of that shit, dude. It's out there. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. And yeah, Carl's playing is, is killer on it. Sick, dude. That's what I love but about that was, show, too, is that was those Pete, little tidbits. Yeah, and that was Pete, you know, to playing drums. And, you know, Pete had his, I, I love that first Nile record because it had its own vibe and it, it like the way Pete approached the music. When, in, in the direction that they were going at the time, I thought was very unique. Um, it was very interesting. Um, and I was surprised that I got even the call. I mean, Carl had, had hinted around if I would be interested in doing it. And I was like, well, you know, what's going on with Pete? And, and then Pete told me if I, I, I injured myself, um, I, I'm not feeling like I could play the stuff, you know, come in and maybe record it if we needed you to and that was like six months prior you know trip um and i didn't think anything about it it's the last i thought about it actually then i get a phone call from him he was he was like man I, i'm here in the studio trying to do this stuff and it's killing me i need to can you come possibly do drums so it's like sure i guess i was like i could be there next week or whatever i'll listen to the stuff with my name no can you like be here tomorrow? (laughs) 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 Yeah. So that's how that happened. Um, So I literally put my drums in the car, drove up there and Dallas and I just sat there and just turned out the riffs. He started with whatever song was first or whatever song we did. I don't even know. Crazy. So you you showed up not even knowing how to play it and then you got to record it. None of it. Yeah. I mean, we just went like, like I said, he's, the beginning of uh, the, whatever the first song is. And he showed me this. And then, you know, he's like, uh, that, that. then it goes into this and then it does this thing. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. So let's just do like that first four riffs, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, that chunk, whatever. And we did it like a few times just to make sure we had it. Then we'd record it. Then we'd move on. You know, and yeah, like the yeah. whole, and it was literally like 17 or 16 hours over the course of two days that we sat there and just recorded. Wow, dude, <laughs> that's gnarly. And I, I listen to it now and I'm like, God damn, man, I could have done so much cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, everything yeah. though dude everything that we do we're always you'll always if you ever listen to your shit you're gonna eventually find some shit that you're like oh i, I mean eventually thing. eventually but not like 80 percent of it you know yeah. what i mean because i had <laughs> i had no idea what i was doing so i was you know i wasn't even from song to song i didn't know what riff was what what was going where like I knew we might be on a new song at some point, but you know, to me, it was just like, okay, these parts, uh, you want a drum fill? All right. Uh, okay. Yeah, you need quads. All like that. You don't know when a song starts or stops. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like just riff after riff after riff. And then 
eventually, like, you know, three months later, I get this thing in the mail and I'm listening to it going. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know what the songs go, really? You're just like, oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I felt bad for whoever had to play it. That's what I was thinking. That's kind of like an actor, you know, and you only act in your certain chunks of the movie or whatever, and you don't really know what the final you know things right yeah yeah yeah. you're like oh shit okay that's kind of like the same way i mean decrepit births uh anytime begins had a tim young on it and he kind of did the same thing same thing yeah exactly put together and then and then someone and then casey came along and actually could play it but when i first heard that i was like cool you're gonna have a sick drum machine your whole life because i don't know who the fuck's (laughs) gonna play this (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly (laughs) yep well sick but there are people out there that's the thing there's always somebody out there that can do it yeah. Well, I just we wanted do, to say, we, like, just go for it. as we're getting started, that I was like thinking about it today, and I was like, wow, like, actually, Derek, you, you are like the first like show that I ever saw that like to- totally got me into metal, like, you know, and really where? Also, uh, uh, at, at the Whiskey uh, Two Thousand with it was um, Hate Eternal uh, doing uh, it was like the I think the first tour from Conqueror. Cannibal. Yeah, Cannibal, dude. Yeah. Would have been cannibal, diabolic, god did Yes, yes. At, at yeah, the whiskey yeah, yeah, yeah. in LA. Yeah, and I was like, I don't know, 17 or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, just getting into metal, yeah. going like, yeah, like, I, you know, Niles great, and then like hearing all these bands and stuff. But you guys, I, I was just like, it was like my hair just went whoosh, like back, mm-hmm. you know? It was just like, yeah. Crap, dude. I remember, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, what was that, dude? It was like the sickest thing. And, and I was in a band like literally two weeks at that point, or three weeks, maybe. Oh, really? We rehearsed Man. like four days and then we took off. Have tour. you have you ever had like time to prepare for shit? I mean, so far, <laughs> both things that we've talked about, you're like, you know, yeah, dude, like, do it man, like three days later, dude. It's funny. Like it's, it's, I could, I could write a book literally on, I mean, there's been a few things like in cold blood that was over like a three or four month time period that we wrote stuff. And the mix is not that great, so you can't really hear what's going on with the color of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you really listen, uh, you can, yeah, it's like a lot of vocal and things going on. And then the Divine Empire, uh, Redemption, that that one also was one that, like, we, I knew the vocal lines before I ever recorded drums. So that's kind of what I based it off of at the time. But any other record, Nile, none of the Hater Tunnels, Except I Monarch, mm-hmm. I, I kind of put my foot down. I was like, man, you know, like King of All Kings, we rushed. It was written between two Morbid Angel tours with Pantera. And it, it, the way it was recorded and just it, there was no time. Like I, I didn't like if you listen, if you go back and watch, you know, drum cams or whatever from that era. And listen to some of those same songs in spirit power that be uh you know whatever even king of all kings you know they they have a different vibe about them live because i settled into the songs and that's something that i didn't have a chance to do like with with nile or with with king of all kings i monarch was a different story because i kind of put my foot down i was like man we're not going to write another record like this and just push it out i want to take time i I want to get to know the songs. I want to hear the vocal patterns and know where I can play and where I can't play, what I can do with you. And, you know, like I was Mm -hmm. thinking at that time, it wasn't just about 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, speed is obviously a, a characteristic of what we do, but I was in a totally different mindset at the time of what I was trying to say on the drum kit, you know. Um, I don't, I don't know. So I kind of just said like enough with this. So we actually did pre-production, and it's funny because I have um, a disc of all of those songs off I'm on our pre-productions of it. Mm, like stuff that we like we were doing it. here in this room actually i've been in the same warehouse for about 21 years now something like that wow so, mm. so we we wrote i monarch basically right here um, true between here and tampa we recorded it in tampa at our studio at the time um, yeah i mean that was like i always felt when i listened to i monarch i'm like yeah this is some of the you know, most creative stuff that I've done for sure. And then yeah. outside of that Serpent's Rise, I mean, there's some stuff on all the Serpent's records that still to this day just crack me up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that's like one of the, I couldn't do it anywhere else. And as far as that's concerned, but now I, I'm really excited because I'm, I've got actual band members, <laughs> you yeah, know, dude, so yeah. I don't have to do everything. And I, I said to myself, I'm dude, I'm not writing anything. I'm just going to, and it's weird kind of what we did because I started recording all of our jams just to, just to be able to like hear us back and listen to what we're doing. And, um, you know, we'd get to the point every night after we jam our stuff that somebody would start playing a riff and I would just jump in and all of a sudden Glenn is like doing something and our bass player comes in and he's, and I'm thinking, I need to record this stuff, mm -hmm. you know? So I started recording without them knowing about it. Nice. So over That's like a good way to do it. Cause then they don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Because be genuine. You know, it's like completely genuine. Right. So when they were gone after about three or four jams or whatever, after they were gone, I would I'd put together like eight songs <laughs> out of all these cool riffs, you know? So That's we're awesome. in the process of re of like learning them. Wow. That's and it's all cool stuff idea. that they've already played, you know, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so it's coming natural, but at the same time, it like none of this stuff really went together when we were doing it. Yeah. You know, so and if you, and if you didn't record it, then you would lose it probably. probably and it's gone song. forever. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Same so we, ideas in general, dude, you got to write them down, dude. Cause you, anytime you think, Oh dude, I'll remember that. You don't fucking remember it. No, no. And you know, it's, um, it's like, like you said, it's a genuine form of writing. Like we're here, we're all here, you know, and like I might be playing something that spurs Jose, that spurs Glenn, that spurs Phil, our bass player. And I've got it. It's here. And we can, we can take that and be like, okay, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing. Mm -hmm. This is what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, dude. yeah. I heard something actually kind of related. It just Carrie, my friend Carrie showed me this the other day. It was a, uh, it was you know John Tesh, yeah, the the performer. He, he did the yeah. um he did the NBA and NBC theme the dun -dun 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 -dun. and like so they they told him hey can you do this theme for us and so he called he got the idea when he was like somewhere called his answering machine at home and was just like and did like the whole <laughs> thing and like I guess uh Carrie showed me the video of like he still has that tape and like. Before yeah. he does it live, he like plays it for the audience with his mic to it. It's just like, <laughs> so much bragging rights, dude. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's funny. A fucking yeah, random funny. melody that came to my dome is now at what everybody hears when they what is it? ESPN? Uh no, it's uh, NBA. It's like the most famous like sports theme. It's like the NBA on NBC. Dun, 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 like, dun, dun, how does stuff. it go? It goes. Dun, 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 
you know that song yeah that was like even like maybe just maybe just fucking hum that <laughs> but uh, but yeah no yeah capturing those ideas is huge man that's a uh, you know if he that might that would have been the theme would have been completely different if he didn't catch it you know yeah, so right totally and not only that but like it's it's not about who wrote it like we all wrote it yeah yeah it, well once it, you guys are in the rehearsal studio it's kind of like a collective mind thing you know this hive mind mentality yeah, yeah. exactly and especially like look i mean the surface rise had or has four records that have, I mean, you're looking at probably 50 something songs over four records. That's all shit that I wrote. Right. Trip. So they're playing this stuff. So they kind of have the vibe. They know what they've kind of like over the two years that we've been jamming with the guitar players, at least with Jose and Glenn, they've melded themselves into the, into the way that we're all writing together. Right. Mm-hmm. So with the new stuff, it's kind of the same thing, but it's their interpretations of riffs, which is, it's cool. It's like this whole extra added dimension that I've been looking for for <laughs> my whole career, dude. Just, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I finally found the guys that our bass player is like the absolute shredder. Oh my God. And it's, it's so awesome. Like playing, you know, with these guys here and, uh, it's just amazing it's cool I'm, so. I'm sure they're pretty stoked to be jamming with you too man <laughs> just oh, yeah. yeah yeah i mean i guess you know i mean it's funny like i met one one of the guys that the jose the guitar player i knew you know many years ago because his band was playing here locally and with his brother who i also knew but i you know that was one of those things that i hadn't thought about you know since touring days it's been a long time and so i had somebody get in touch with me he contacted me about buying some snakes which is kind of what i'm doing you know that's actually i was gonna i was gonna ask you about that because uh you know um naveen copperweiss that drummer is an animal Uh leaders and stuff he said that you he uh texted me last night he's all he's the last time i saw derek he gave me a card saying he was selling snakes so asked me about that so he actually wanted me to ask you about that yeah we'll get into that yeah totally yeah yeah. but that's that's how we met like jose wanted to buy a pair of black-headed pythons that i had and uh after about, you know, four or five times of us getting together and hanging out with snakes and stuff, um, he said, yeah, you know, I was in Synapticide with my, my brother uh, and, you know, I remember, you know, we used to play around town. It, it hit me like immediately. I was like, dude, what are you doing? We should just get together and jam because, you know, I'm. it just so happened to be that he he's a professional, like, you know, he's working in a field with BMW auto and like he's a, he's in a place where he's making good money and he's substantial human being you know and uh anytime that happens to me where somebody you know that i know is, is set up and they tell me that they play i'm always intrigued because i'm i've ran into so many people that are like oh i want to go on tour and uh, you know i want to do this and oh this town sucks and blah 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 not realizing that if your hometown doesn't love you nobody's gonna love you you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's the irony of all of that. Like all of these bands want to run, you know. Like I, I don't get it. Like I watched Hootie and the Blowfish before anybody ever knew who they were. Bank, you know, those guys were making a good living doing what they were doing. They didn't need Atlantic Records to mm-hmm. further them through their career. I mean, obviously it helped them in the long run, but they were doing just fine. I mean, they were. They had a great guarantee, and they were playing all up and down the East Coast at frat parties all everywhere. You know, they were doing, they were doing well. 
for a band that nobody had ever heard of, they were doing great. <laughs> yeah, but that's what it takes. I mean, when you look at Van Halen, like nobody knew who Van Halen was anywhere else, but their hometown did. Their hometown had a thousand people showing up. Yeah. You know, that's what got them noticed, not running out on tour and going and playing all over America for 35 or 40 people a night. You know, yeah. not not having a fan base or anybody not knowing what you're doing, you know. So that was like a curriculum for me to find guys that were professional that weren't looking for that, right? To find guys that were perfectly fine, like making their great money, what they were doing and coming up here and playing some music and having a couple beers or whatever and, and rocking out and creating good music. So it took me a long time to find that, man. I mean, this that cannot go understated how important that is, I think, for the longevity of music. Like guys that aren't relying on it, you know, because out of that comes originality and heart. And mm -hmm. there's something that, like, I'm not hearing, even on recordings nowadays, it's like the, the same snare drum sample. It's the same guitar plug-in. It's, it's, it's getting so to the you point... Like, so you wow, talking man. about how hard it is to find a setup like that with a, a bunch of dudes that that are in it this for the same catching that same wavelength with you and finally finding you know dudes that are down to do that now take us back to before yeah. before all that shit i want to know about what you were doing as a child when and when you decided to start playing drums and or even if that wasn't your first <laughs> instrument like what instrument you started with or when music i always say when music became important to you that's that's where we want to start I, I don't remember when it wasn't to be honest i yeah. i mean one of the first like memories i have of music um i remember being little like really little and like i don't know if i was dancing to maybe Buddy Rich or Gene Koopa or maybe it might've even been Elvis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there, there was all types of music in my family. And I think I, I was telling you guys earlier, my dad had a country song on billboard in the early eighties. Um, it it, it kind of happened by accident. And I remember my dad saying even then, like, oh, I'm not doing anything with music because there's no money in it. And that kind of always stuck with me, you know, and that was yeah. like, you know, I was 12, 11, 13, like somewhere in there. And I'm playing and I'm starting to listen to Maiden and Twisted Sister and Motley Crue, Quiet Riot, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Listening to that stuff early on and I'm hearing that there's no money in it, but I'm seeing <clears throat> the advent of MTV and all this stuff, you know, and seeing what's going on. And the one thing that I took away from it, because I, I was already told that money's not in it from somebody that was doing it, because the guy that picked up his song would, had had several different hits in the country world or whatever. And, uh, and my dad got some royalties from it, but it wasn't like, you know, anything. That he was so he was just the, the writer of the song. And then, the right. Yeah, right. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> writer, producer, whatever. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of grew up with that attitude. So for me, it was all about just playing music because I like music, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yep. Um, and, you know, that was kind of been my outlook the whole time. Even with Hate Eternal and, and all the other bands, I 
I never wanted to get into a situation to where it became about money. But when I started losing money, that's, that was the one I drew the line, you know, yeah. we could be it's making better decisions you. and you know, that probably wouldn't be losing us money. And I just felt like I was in a ship that was going down eventually. And I just got on my lifeboat and floated away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at 13, you said you, it, you started playing at that time. I was, I mean, jamming I was, around. I was playing earlier. I was playing. Uh, my my dad got my first kit when I was five. I want to say. Oh, okay. And then from like five to eight, I played Kiss Records and Donna Summers and Almond Brothers and let's see, Kansas and Boston, Mahavishna. Even oh, okay. uh, there was all type of, you know, there was all my brother's nine years older than me. So he brought Black Sabbath and Kiss and Alice Cooper, uh, Lucifer's friend. Oh, he, you know, you to the dark side. Yeah. He brought all of that stuff into the household. But mom and dad at an early age, you know, was always music. Everything from Elvis to Return to Forever, Chick Corea, like Herbie Hancock, uh, Miles Davis, you know. Uh, Zappa. So, you know, there was a musical household anyway. So mm -hmm. I, I grew up with kind of all of that. So I never really had like, and obviously there was no death metal. Mm -hmm. You know, that didn't happen. Until but that's it, still that was, a already a wide variety of different styles of music that are getting tossed around in that house. So yeah, but that was, that was every kid in that age in the seventies. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Like kid, you no, know, it's funny. We I laugh about this all the time with my wife because we, you know, we talk about the, we were talking earlier about the value of music, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just say, like in my time period, right? If, let's just say in 1988, where I was in high school and I had my own job and I was making my own money. So let's say for that whole year that I spent a thousand dollars on music, buying Altars of Madness, buying Harmony Corruption, well, that wasn't out, but. Uh, buying whatever it was, Merciful Fate, Iron Maiden, whatever it was that I spent that year, let's just say it's a thousand dollars. And that's what I bought. And I bought all those records that impacted me for a lifetime. Right. You know what kids today are spending a thousand dollars on? Hmm. Cell phones. Yeah. 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 Which More everything is, which everything <laughs> is for free on. Mm hmm. Yeah, totally. which is why I was saying music is worthless because I mean, there's not a band that I can think of that I can't go on YouTube right now and pull up their full record and listen to it for another. Yeah, we, for no that's money. a common theme on the show too. Is like how it was all about the physical copy of things and going. That's out. the only way you can get it. Yeah, and the artwork yeah. and how much was put into the layout and and just the whole package and just being like oh it's all perfect for me right here i can store it properly okay and then i can flip it out and it's all preserved and nice and yeah no, actually right. have you guys ever heard about cd rot i didn't even know that was a thing there's yeah, cds that's that, been a that, minute though yeah there's like a, a a certain plants that their cds end up like rotting over years and and you lose your shit anyways Right. So it's still, it's a, like records are actually still the way to fucking preserve music the best, dude. Was it a certain, was it a certain like a uh, certain in physical form? Was it only, is it all CDs or was it a certain plant you well, said? I, I, I probably, I, I, I'm half remembering the bullshit. I mean, the, I'm half remembering the article because I'm bullshit, but um, 
(laughs) (laughs) But no, it it literally was like, I think it had to do with, yeah, a certain plant or whatever. And also, I mean, unfortunately, the elements that it's exposed to wherever you live in the world, you know, if you don't fucking store your shit properly, Earth's going to take it anyways, dude. Oh, yeah, totally. So, but yeah, going and getting the physical copy, it was just like the whole process of it. And you're... I don't know what I'm going to get. I don't know what's going to be there. And yeah, most mean, of our money on it. That's yeah. I mean, that was the, inter- but that's the point though. That was the entertainment. Oh, totally. Know? Like totally. The, nowadays, Facebook is entertainment. So they're not spending their money on the music. I like, could easily like spend two hours in a, in, in Amoeba or a bigger record store and just flip through everything, dude. Yeah. And buy a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, based but you know, at the same or- time, at the same time, I'm I'm on YouTube and I'm like getting those related to whatever it was that like you're listening to, and a lot of times I've man I've discovered a lot of really cool stuff that I overlooked when I was a kid. Like wow, mm-hmm. how did I overlook this? We actually you know? in the beginning of the pandemic, I kind of you know went back in time and like re combed over the '90s and solstice was the main band that popped up like how the fuck did i not know about solstice i saw the label i saw the logo you know i just heard that maybe some florida band members were in it and shit but i always just wrote it off as some like another generic thrash band or something like that then i finally do my recome and i find solstice and i fall in love dude and i'm like this is a a really big missing piece of that Florida scene that I should have known about when I was into the, I'm still into the Florida scene, but like back when, like we were finding all that shit for some reason, that band just didn't make it into the pile. And then I fucking end up moving on with my life, but doing those recombs going back in time and, and making sure that you, you got all the important shit for yourself out of, you know, previous time in your life. I mean, there's there's so much out there. I, I recently somebody, a friend of mine on my Facebook feed, you know, this is the things that that internet is good for. So somebody on my Facebook feed had posted a video of the band Oblivion from mm. Canada uh, from like 1990, and I remember the demo that they had out in '89, and they put out a record in '90, and I think in '92 they put out another record that. I mean, there, there's not a tech band today that, that is doing anything different than they were doing then. And I, and I say to this day that they're probably one of the best bands that has ever come out of Canada as far as playing thrash and tech. Tech right, kind of thrash. Write it down, no, listeners. Oblivion. There's no, there's no blast beats. It's, yeah, uh, it's, what is it? Um, fiction of veracity, I think. But there's, there's, if you just type in Oblive Eon, which is E O N at the end, um, 89, it'll pull up the demo. Nice. um, But they they have a couple of really killer releases. But, you know, that's besides the point. What I'm saying is it's like there there were bands at that time that were doing stuff like really ahead of the game, like over in Europe, Fan Buenas End, like in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. You know, they, written in waters. It, uh, there's so much going on on that album that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, even like Mastodon ripped some riff styles off of that band, and they're just a yeah. really obscure. What uh, that drummer and what is it? Zaral and I don't uh, know his real name. I know that 
he's also in another band named Virus, which you probably know about. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, he plays guitar and sings. It, but Dode Hemsgard or Dode Hemsgard, like that whole those those uh, Vikodnik and Sis, I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names, guys. But you know what the fuck? You're, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Get yeah, on yeah, the yeah. internet. Use your Googles, guys. Um, no, great, great stuff. I love Virus too, man. I, I mean, Van Buenas and Virus is both. It's like some of my favorite stuff ever. You know, it's um, definitely off-putting. On uh, not not for me personally, but for a lot of people with the vocals, because he he did like some like crooning style, almost like. You know what it reminds me of. And, and like what, and it's funny, I made this connect and my wife loves the shit. She loved it before I did actually. Nice. And she had said to me, she goes, you know what it reminds me of? Because it reminds me of the fifties in Sinatra. Like yeah. I can totally see this guy. That, it's crooning. That's like that style of what they were doing back then. You know what I mean? Just, but it's Norwegian black metal. Sort of. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, and it's kind of I mean, not, like, not just like plain old Norwegian black it's metal. It's like Some stoner of... rock with Sinatra singing. <laughs> what the fuck? I can't it's even crazy. put that together in my head. Right I, I know. You I know what I mean? Norwegian black metal. <laughs> it's Norwegian black metal musicians going to the extreme boundaries of avant-garde and what they. Well, yeah, like. Van Buenas in definitely. Yeah. Was, you know. Oh, you're talking about virus. Virus. I was thinking yes. more of the virus. It's more of like you know, like stoner rock with sinatra singing you know but cool fucking riffs dude and well, you Venice, can... Venice and yeah that i mean the drum stuff on that is man that's been some of my favorite shit for decades and, and a lot of those riffs <laughs> are like black metal translated into a different oh yeah it's genre. totally i mean the, you know all came from over yep and those Over's guys are on a completely too. different path that you know? was and i love all of that stuff everything same drummer. On. yeah first first over was the same drummer Check but I love all over's new stuff. Out. I mean, I thought that the new stuff they're doing is really cool. You know, they oh, hell that's yeah, a perfect dude. example of like musicians that are really it's like synth pop now, right? It's like kind of yeah. I mean, they've been through a bunch of different sounds. Shadow, Shadows of the Sun was one of my f- all-time favorite over records because of the sadness, but the beauty in it too. Yeah. And and they did a a, a live um, DVD or Blu-ray kind of yep. revolving around yep. shadows of the sun i forget what it was called but um dude those the norwegian show stuff, at the dude. opera yeah and some great great fucking ideas on drums like it's pretty tech in certain parts where you're like oh dude you can tell they were listening to a lot of dead can dance <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? but it's big yeah, be, too that's they, the thing. all of their stuff has been different like everything they've done has been kind of off you know left field and it's and it's always been good. It's always been quality stuff. Whether you dig it or not, you, you can't help it. I'll like, always be on that. quality. I'll yeah. hail that band for sure. And it's as soon as, I mean, they were kind of in like the second wave almost, like in between the first and second wave of Norway. But as soon as it got popular, they just said, fuck it, I'm out. I'm not doing black metal anymore. And they immediately like moved into like more weird avant-garde and electronic shit that actually they did soundtracks to movies and shit. There's like three different movies. They did soundtracks for that, those guys are also like a mad. There's a really good interview with musicians. them. There's a really good interview with them online. I'm sure if you type in over interview, it's like a one of two part series. And they talk about the change that they all personally kind of, well, at least the two core members, they talk mm-hmm. about the change that they went through um, just musically over the years. And it talks about outgrowing, 
you know, the scene and then outgrowing their friends, even as far as their thinking musically. And it was, it's like a really interesting, you know, interview. I, I thought because it really showed like musicians like truly growing, yeah, you know, just through their words and what they were saying and how they were going about. And they're like, yeah, we still love all of that stuff. We love everything that we've done. We're not trying to change anything, but we're just trying to document how we're growing as people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, I, I always kind of thought that like metal music, that that was, that was like a given. And I took that for granted because I listen to everything now and I watch everything be so edited and made so perfect. And there's no way that like, if I recorded a record today and I went back in 20 years and recorded another record that I could look back at it and go look at my growth because everything all the way from then until now has been edited to be perfect, you know? And like, I, I feel that that's something that's kind of been lost is like, I could go back to stuff I recorded in 1990 just because we didn't have the capability of editing. Mm-hmm. And I listen to myself playing and go, Oh my God. Like, wow. Like, it's the, human. the amount of growth that I've had as a player over this 25 years or whatever, you know, it's, a, it's, that to me is really motivating. And I, I just don't understand like how musicians today, they're, they're going to miss out on how gratifying that is. Totally. You know what I mean? I like agree. as, as a player to, to be able to go back and know like, Oh, well, that's not real. That's not me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, oh, it's, totally. it's literally like a that's a bummer, a, I think, paint, but Hey, I'm not growing up with it. They are. So maybe they're cool with yeah. it. And it seems to it me is. that they are. It you is know? us being like these young kids today. That's yeah. exactly what it is. It's it's they don't they never experienced what we're talking about until after they've already had the perfection, and then somebody shows them, "Oh, this is what we were doing before." You can make it perfect. So it's like a secondary yeah, yeah. thing for the newer generations versus like yeah. us. I think it's just a mindset. Shit. Like, I'll give you an example. I've, I've been in several different bands over the years that I was trying to get off the ground. And for one reason or another, like, just stuff didn't work out. And, like, I've noticed with a lot of musicians that are under the age of, let's say, 30, right? They, they, they see, especially guitar players, they seem to not be able to live with what they've put down as a representation of their playing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is, uh, like, recording something, right? I always get, like, oh, man, I could do that so much better. Okay, cool. So let's do it again. And mm-hmm. we do it, and it's like, okay, all right, good. Whatever. And then, like, a few weeks later, oh, man, I could do that so much better. Alt, delete. Yeah. Alt, delete. Alt, delete. And then that turns into weeks, which turns into months, which turns into, oh, I'm not happy with that solo. Oh, I'm not happy with that one, you know, because they know that they can go back and edit it and make it perfect or Mm -hmm. make it to be something they're not. And that's what bothers me about it today. You know what I mean? Like, and just, and that's just me recording local bands and watching what guys expect of me as a, as a engineer, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm not here to make you into something you're not. I'm here to accurately represent what you are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I obviously that it's like, obviously it's like that doesn't get me a lot of work instagram models and filters that's yeah because because that doesn't get me a lot of work i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna make myself something that i'm actually not to get the likes and the 
you know, which means points, nothing, well, which means nothing. So Derek, yeah, uh, like, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, a, I just, I don't understand it. I mean, and God bless you if you do, and that's your whole world. And that, and that's what's matter to you. That's perfectly fine. I'm, I'm not criticizing. It's I just obvious that people want to hear the perfection too, because everybody's kind of pleasing, you know, the fans as well too. So it's not just the artists. It's also the fans wanting this perfect thing, but we're human guys. We're so imperfect. Like, yeah, the representation of us accurately is actually just fucking and get in there and do your best. I used to fuck. I used to listen to records. Like, and if you really, I'll give you a good example. Go back and listen to blessed or forsaken headphones mm-hmm. and really listen. Right. And listen, listen to a song and just focus on the left side and listen to the same song and just focus on the right side. And there's so much stuff that you can hear. Like you, there's certain riffs that you can hear the, the strings like catching on trays rings, you know, uh, there's, there's things you can hear like during stops, you can hear the springs resonating in the guitar. You know, like nowadays, all of that shit is edited out. Like if mm-hmm. there's like a space where guitars aren't playing, I watch engineers all the time. Just go, whoop, they take that space, boom, delete, gone to make a clean. Bang. Yep. Dead stop. Da, 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 and there's nothing there, but, like when I'm listening to those old records, I'm hearing all of this stuff that matters. It it fucking matters, man. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't care what anybody says. And that's why music that was created back then is worth stuff. Like we were talking about earlier. It's like none of this music today is worth anything, you know? I mean, and that I think that's a big component of why, because it's just been made so perfect that people don't identify with it anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Anyway, hey, y'all come up with something. I, this water is going through me. I got to go pee. I'll be right back. Yeah, go for it. Come, it's all good. Yeah, go wait for a minute. It, yeah. Come right. up with something. I'll be right back. We can come up with plenty. Even if it's not worth it, we can come up with plenty. I just want to imagine that I'm, I'm playing Derek's drum set right now. I know, I know. I for so. all the audio listeners, dude, uh, it's right there. I'm going to give a shout out I've never seen Derek Roddy set from this angle right now, dude. I know, that's sick. It's super beautiful. An angle from like basically the. Can you switch it to him manually real quick so they can see it? What? Like the screen to where it'll show just his kit. Oh yeah, but he has to make sound for it to like stay on it. So oh, oh okay, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Either but, way, so but I wanted to give a real quick shout out because uh, Saturday uh, we're all. I mean, Joseph, are Joseph. you going to the Ontogeny show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Ontogeny and Cartilage are playing. You know, Nate, who's been on the podcast many times from Ontogeny, they're playing uh, the Parkside in San Francisco on Saturday. So Eight that o'clock. will be the twenty fifth. The with 25th. two E's. The with two E's. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. The Parkside. Yeah, yeah. It's in San Francisco. It's a tiny little venue, and it's fucking. It's pretty legendary. But uh, anyways, yeah. If you're anywhere within a three hour radius, and here's I'd a say, super go. fun fact: Joseph and I will physically hug for the first time at that show. Possible. Yeah. All you got, all you fucking listeners that have been here from the beginning. I will now physically be in the professor's fucking Wait, zone, you, dude. Have you not ever met the professor in person? Not that I remember because <laughs> he was crazy. coming in just to take lessons from you. I would, I, I don't know if I would have ever been there while you were taking wow. lessons, you know? Uh, Joel, do you want to go to that show together? Drive up? Um, there? He, possibly. I have a, yeah, I have a situation. I'll let you know. Okay. He'll, He'll, yeah, I think you might be figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So, I'm getting a hotel yeah. room though, too. Oh, sick. Well, we'll see. What's but, up, uh, <laughs> welcome back. 
now I gotta go. Thank you. I gotta go. <laughs> okay. There goes right. I know, dude. I've been through this today. I, uh, yeah, dude. that's a good had- thing with the the water, man. That's uh, I mean, I I get on those kick uh, those benders where I'm like making sure to drink a certain amount of water every day, and I do notice how like how much better it makes me feel just as a human being. Like I feel like yeah. throughout the day I can think clearer, and it really like helps a lot. I mean, besides hitting the bathroom forty five times a day, but. That's the only yeah, thing I mean, but, you know, look, if that's what I got to deal with just to stay, yep. you know, lubricated and, and feeling good. <laughs> I mean, I'm starting on a second one right now. Damn. Ta-da. <laughs> nice. Damn. Uh, yeah, that's I awesome. mean, and I was playing today, too. I seem to drink a lot of water when I play, especially when I have the guys over, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Did you guys practice so- today? For sure. Uh, Jose came over. We were we were kind of working on a song that's been a thorn on our side, a new one. It's been a gotcha. thorn on everybody's side. It's kind of ridiculous. Just trying to get through it and figure <laughs> it out. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of ridiculous. It's so, uh, no sense. Going, in it. going back to that, what you're talking about with the editing and stuff. So, um, I was randomly just looking because I'm you know obviously. You know, I, I know a ton about you, but I didn't know it was Derek on, on the Wikipedia page. I just looked today. It said Derek one take Roddy. So that yeah. was so yeah. was that like is that so one is that like an actual nickname that you use? And two, did you do that in most of your recordings, like with bands like with like Hate Eternal and stuff? Was it one take that you were running through? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, it's not anything that I came up with. I, I guess who actually made it popular was Eric. Yep. Uh, Rutan. So, uh, but I've kind of been called that my whole life. I mean, it, it was just like, a, it's like, you know, when people like, my name is Derek Roddy. So people kind of call me D rod. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And it's kind of something that people have done everywhere, all over the world, D rod, whatever, you know, um, I think one take was kind of that same thing for people that have ever recorded with me because I was, I could just kind of, I, I would rehearse stuff to the point to where I would just record it and it was good. You know, yep. There was no sense in trying to punch in or whatever, you know, so. I think you, uh, you slowly screwed over um, our good friend, uh, uh, Jade, that was in, uh, in um, Hate Eternal for a while because he was brand new into the band when we toured with them with the Black Dahlia, Hate Eternal, uh, and uh, Three Inches of Blood or something like that. Right, but, yeah. Jade uh, had just joined the band and just recorded an album, but he was like, he was, you know, he was still like feeling the pressure from that. Do haven't he like Derek or uh, Eric was like, you got to do what you got to do it one take, man. So he he was telling me like some of those songs were literally the 60th try when he'd get it like to the point yeah, where like see, people, that no wasn't, edits, no yeah. edits. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's cool, but that wasn't me. Like I would, it, we, well, that was your drumming like, probably <laughs> that made him. Well, it. I mean, for example, in cold blood, like, all right, so. I guess anybody going to more sound at that point in time and in, in their you know history or been playing would have been pretty nerve wracking for me. It wasn't all that bad because I grew up in the studio. Like I was talking about my dad earlier. Mm-hmm. He, I, I was with him when I was in my, you know, 10, 11 years old, watching him in a studio record this song that eventually got put out by somebody else or whatever. So watching all this take place. And then my buddy, Bob Moore, who has sound lab studios that recorded all the Nile stuff. Um, they're like, I would watch him. He, me and him built two or three studios from the ground up for the most part. And I, you know, I'm very familiar with the studio environment, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. so it it doesn't intimidate me. Like that red light is like, for me, it's like, yeah, it's on. 
it's not like an, I hear a lot of guys say all the time, oh man, red light syndrome, you know, like once yeah, the red yeah. light comes on, you fucking up. It's like, that's not me. Get the deer in headlights with the red light. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's not me. <laughs> like I, I seem to perform better that way, you know? So I, I just grew up in that environment. So when we did in cold blood, that, that was interesting because I packed my drums, I put it in my car, we drove over to Moore Sound, uh, set up, and we started getting tones together. Uh, I remember Scott from Assuck was an engineer. And Steve, sorry. And he was an engineer and Scott Burns was producing it. Right. So he put all the mics on and we started getting tones together. And Scott came in after, you know, everything was pretty much mic'd and ready to go. And he was like, all right, so you guys like maybe just run through a song and let's see what, you know, for tomorrow we'll be ready to go. Right. So we ran through one song. We ran through another song, another, 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 took a break. Hey, let's, I don't know what Scott used for an excuse. Hey, let's like, you guys just like, we'll get it. Since you played so many songs, let's get a demo of what you guys have already done okay cool what haven't we played oh we haven't played this all right you know we busted out blah 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 blah. bam drums done <laughs> i mean it was like three and a half hours you know what i mean Fuck, um and it like and then it wasn't even a we listened back to it and we're like <laughs> yeah really all right that's it <laughs> yeah that's cool <laughs> you know let's just yeah. keep them and no those were all like first tape just just if you were to come into your rehearsal room and set up and jam through your songs that's what in cold blood was i mean it was just that it was like we just ran through the songs and then of course you know phil and jp came back and they they laid their tracks over the top of the drums but that was just me and phil like we thought we were getting tones meanwhile scott was and we did that on two inch tape too so you know, scott was rolling tape the whole time changing tapes over we did we didn't even know you know smart man dude. Kinda 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 funny. Doing yeah, he was, that's funny that's why he's fucking scott burns he, exactly i think that's how he captured a lot of stuff i don't think like these guys knew that they were actually recording well, that just him. that just reminded me right you know? now this is what you're doing with the serpent's yeah. rise guys you're exactly setting, yeah you're yeah, taking exactly. that scott burns approach and you're you're just trying to capture the magic without even them re the magicians realizing that they're making it it's that's kind of the idea yeah that's super fucking cool dude i fucking that's love that I, I, I'm really a proponent of like the metaphor of us like as satellites and catching ideas and, and bringing things into existence, you know, as alchemists and whatnot. Um, I mean, just even with thought, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there's a lot you can do with just thought along, you know, if you see yourself doing something and if you think it enough, eventually life will kind of work its way out to where that becomes reality. If, if you're, if you're putting the right energy into it. Totally. Yeah. I agree with an that. honest, an honest energy into it. Yeah. A lot of things in life that's happened to me, just like, Oh my God, maybe one day I could do something. I really, but you really want it though. You have like a real want for it. And somehow sure. you catch yourself, you know, three or four years later, like I'm doing the thing I was saying I could never do. Mm -hmm. And like, it kind of just like, like you said, life and the universe kind of just, that's why they say, put it out there, dude, put it yeah, out there and not working out. Back. Yeah. Right. So many different facets of life. It's not, you know, just all the things. You know? It applies to everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Super cool. So That's, this, that was like, oh, go for it, Joseph. Sorry. 
I was gonna say, so I, I listened to In Cold Blood for the first time today, just like really? an hour and a half ago. Uh, that's yeah. so funny. And uh he's only just... 30, dude. <laughs> Remember? Ah! He's <laughs> yeah. Um Love it. and it was it was it was a very fun listen, and it's cool to hear that it was done in, in that kind of way. I was just curious at that point in your career, like what what was your inspiration on drums and like what were you going for with with malevolent creation and trying to push that sound that you were pushing at the time um it was yeah, the mindset be, going into that I'll, I'll take you back a few years actually so mm-hmm. um in high school as we were talking about before i grew up in a very musical household so i was familiar with steve gadd and tony williams and Owen jones and I mean, like the list goes on and on. Vinny even, like Vinny was just starting to come onto the scene. Terry Bazio with Frank Zappa. So I was, I was exposed, Steve Smith's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was exposed to a lot of these players as I was growing up. So when I got my own band together, I, I grew up playing with my brother and my cousin when I was young, like eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. I was playing in clubs. Would your brother my play? Brother. My brother played guitar. He's nine years older. My cousin played bass. He's six years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they were in their teens, I was still young, but I would get into clubs and things and be able to play with them. And not only that, when I was real young, we did like my mom's garden club meetings, and like community functions at the clubhouse, <laughs> you know, that yeah. kind of stuff, just playing cover songs. So I was familiar with playing from a, from a young age. And then obviously, you know, I discovered, slayer you know metallica too somewhat but like dark angel and slayer i was more attracted to like the real heavy stuff it was like anytime i heard a drummer like oh yeah that's what i'm gonna do oblivion that that rec- that demo from 89 has got some of the fastest double bass probably the fastest double bass acoustic double bass with microphones mm-hmm. that oh, that shit, existed man. up until probably 1993 when covenant came out Wow. wow yeah gotta check it's, that got, out. it's got some it's only one or two sections on the whole record but it's, it's like <laughs> oh you know so i remember listening to that and, and then you know obviously angel of death and then hearing terrorizer and napalm death and Morbid angel so i you know i immediately went down that road so those were like my my influences and but because i was influenced on the other side of things like listening to tony williams i kind of had this like almost, I don't want to say fusion kind of flair in my playing, and but that was kind of where I was going, you know, kind of fusing the two together. And mm-hmm. then I heard Human, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh That's damn!" Like, changer, dude. yeah, and and it was for me because I was kind of doing that. Yeah, you know, and I, I was like, "Oh shit." That oh, was gonna. So that like, was, fuck, dude. Yeah, that was gonna be you my thing. Yeah, more of an original thing going, and then you realize that. that yeah, that was gonna John's be my theme. You know, because I mean, I already had the background from Zappa to mm-hmm. you know Miles Davis and the influence of that whole thing in my family. So, and it kind of made me mad to where I just went the opposite direction. I said, you know what? All right, so that's happening. I'm not hearing somebody just doing nothing but blast and double bass. I mean, for three or four minutes of time, I, I wasn't hearing anybody. And like Morbid Angel, Pete had, he was the closest mm-hmm. at the time, you know, but I'm talking 1991, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm we're going back a little bit. So yeah, at that time, time period, I just thought to myself, like, that's the only thing I'm going to do. I'm just going to out endurance everybody. 
yeah, yeah. That's, because I was even at that I was I was trying to find my voice, you know, and I thought that I had found it. I thought that I was like, okay, this is something I'm doing that I'm not hearing anybody else doing, and then I'll, I get this record. It was like a, it was even a pre-production of from Relativity that was on this mailing list, and we got shit like in the mail. Remember, like cassette tapes, tape and stuff. trading and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah tape trading. And uh, somebody that worked at Relativity like snuck this thing out and sent it to me or whatever. And I was, I remember listening to it being like, <laughs> you know, like, and loving every minute of it, going, man, this yeah. is so killer. This is exactly what I was thinking in my mind. Exactly what I was, how I would have done it, how I was playing at the time. You know, it's like yeah. a comedian going to a show and then the comedian using the same jokes, has like yeah, the yeah, same yeah. premise, some same <laughs> yeah. fucking tags in it and shit. And you're like, fuck, dude. But you look at I Steve Flynn too. Guy. Look at Steve from uh, from Athens. Like he was oh, doing yeah. some really whack that he was even like on another level. I know? still think he's on yeah. another level, dude. I don't think there's another drummer from that era that really st- has that kind of style. He, I mean, yeah, he's, he's very he's, angular, right? He's mm-hmm. got these very sharp corners to his playing. Or like totally. you listen to Dave Weckl or even Sean, like had this really smooth, like everything was rounded, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But you listen to Steve and everything is very angular. Yep, it's yep. very pointy. Like it's playing in school. Like how, and that's the beauty of like what I don't get anymore. Like we start going back to all the editing and sound replacement. Like I'm not hearing the way somebody plays a drum. Yep. You know, like, and yeah. I know this is, I mean, you could probably still hear this because it's just one drum, but like, so you take a drum like a 10 inch Tom, right? And you say to yourself, okay, well, what sound am I looking for? right that all depends on how you play the drum so there's a million ways to play a 10 inch tom right so i'll give you two ways okay here's one way right okay deadening okay. It. right mm-hmm. here's another way yeah zoom still cuts it out but i i know what you're saying you, leave you know it what open i'm saying and let it yeah, ring yeah. out and get give the full right yeah. yes resonance yeah so that's where your character is at. So like when I, in the old, I say in the old, in the old days, <laughs> anyway, like, um, I could listen to a record and I could hear, I could like you, the, the touch, yeah. it, it came through and like, I'm not, I'm not getting that anymore. And that's, that's so disappointing, man. Cause I look so forward to that when I picked up records when I was younger. Like I'm always thinking metaphors, dude. And like, if it was a language, it's like, you know how you're from one country, you speak all the same language, but there's different dialects. It's like, let's right. wipe out all the dialects. Let, now let's just like make it to where it all sounds like it comes from the same place when really it was the like the dialect saying that editing area. is like is, is yeah, morphing yeah, the so, dialects together yeah, yeah totally editing it like yeah. the the straight edges versus the curved edges like he was saying with sean and uh steve uh they that you can't really find that in an edited guy who's playing it's all put on the but grid. triggered drums yeah. and yeah and I feel like the drummer of a band back in the day would shape the sound of the rest of the band. Like, of atheists, course, they would have those passages that would like go a little past the four 
but not yeah. enough to be like another eighth note. It was like in between or something like Metallica mm-hmm. on Master of Puppets. That Metallica riff is like a classic example of that, yeah. too. It falls in between a 16th or whatever. So like the drummers would would shape that sound. And Steven Atheist was really good at doing that. So, yeah, totally. you guys have seen um, recently within the last year, they have put up drum cam footage of him recording all yep. of the stuff on Unquestionable Presence. I love that stuff. It's so cool to see coming out. Man. That's like my favorite, one of my favorite yeah. albums, dude. dude and those, that those... and Lee from Monstrosity. There's also video of him recording all of that stuff from the day in Monstrosity. And he's always been one of my favorite players, too. I love mm-hmm. the way Lee phrases drum stuff, man. It's He's very... Uh, I don't even want to use the word underrated because he could never be, you know, like overrated in my book. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, um, it's just the the dude, just the phrasing and how he played the placement of everything. And just the overall, like, again, just a very smooth player, you know, um, some of that stuff is just so good. And I love it. In dark, in dark purity is like literally to me. That's like just one of the best, like just straight ahead death metal albums. Just like, in yeah. the pocket, just fucking make it makes you headbang. It makes yeah. you do all the things, and it's like just has a smoothness to it, and it's, it gets overlooked a lot too. Is one thing. Whenever I I get the opportunity to show that to people, because it really formed me as a kid. Um, when I found um, in Dark Purity, I was like Jesus, like yeah. like some of the catchiest, but fucking brutal and sick and headbanging. Well, fucking like, brutal, bands. dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I mean, man, there's so many good drummers that shaped me over the years. I'm ready from Ventor to Lombardo to Oakland. Nice. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, there's so many guys, you know, it's uncomfortable. And I even, I mean, it's funny because Casey and I rehooked up with a drummer friend of mine from South Carolina. And, you know, is I, I got to give shouts out to Jason Summers because, like, he, he was another great drummer in the area of, like, it's weird because when I grew up, you know, I could walk out my front door like any Thursday or any Sunday and hear these guys that were like, they were like five to eight years older than me, but they had a band like a mile away from my house in a neighborhood and they practiced in their garage and I could hear them, you know? And, uh, wow, dude. yeah. So I, I was fortunate enough to grow up around I mean, a, a bunch of amazing local drummers. It was Ken and Kevin Williams. It was Jason Summers, who, who Casey now knows. Jason Moore, um, Clint Lee. I mean, Greg Klein. And all these guys are pretty much all professionals now doing whatever they're doing in life. But all really good drummers. I mean, like all of us. And a lot of us were in the same. We were in the drum line together in high school, like a lot of these guys. And, uh, it was funny because at our high school games and shit, like just the drum line, we'd play Metallica songs. Nice. <laughs> like nice. between bass drums and snare drums and quads and cymbals and shit, you know, it was like 15 of us or 12 of us, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, and, yeah. but the rest of the band would just sit it out while the football team was playing. We were playing Metallica songs and Slayer songs. <laughs> we even did Napalm Death, You Suffer But Why. And I was like, ah! <laughs> just for like four seconds, you know. So we would do that like multiple times a game. But I mean, you know, but I grew up around a bunch of people that were really like amazing players, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You were mentioning that pre-pod, how you were involved in a band and, and all this different stuff. And you're talking about yeah. that one project too. I want to, you know, talk about that again. 
Um, so is, were you already doing metal band shit while you were doing that? Or was that what kind of moved you into starting to get your own project together in high school? Yeah. I mean, you know, my brother and my cousin and I were playing. And so that's what, that was the first trio right there. That was like the solid first yeah, band right there, we your brother and your cousin. Yeah. And we were doing covers, all my brothers and Leonard Skinner, Kansas, Austin, the Sabbath and Alice Cooper and Kiss, you know, so like all the typical stuff of the day. And then once I, you know, got in school, really, and, and started meeting other people. So the guy, Jason Moore, I was saying that I could hear his band. His brother was my age of playing guitar. So him and I grew up playing together. He's a really, right now, a talented guitar player. He's a sure. professional in another field, but like stupid good guitar Still player, playing. You know? Nice. Yeah. Still rocking, still doing his thing. Fuck yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I was just fortunate enough to do that. And then... I, I started meeting people that were into like napalm death, you know, because I, I mean, I was young and I had just discovered like electric hippies and napalm, you know, of course, Venom and Celtic Frost and Slayer and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to play like some extreme stuff. And then I started playing with these guys and we, we formed the Debonic Method, which was my band all through high school, kind of thrash stuff. You can look that stuff up online too right now. We got together in 2013 after not seeing each other for 25 years. Wow. And if you go online on my YouTube page and look up that stuff from the Devonian Method, that was the first time we had played together in 25 years. And I set up cameras and I wanted to videotape it. I audio recorded every day, but we actually sounded pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> we oh, yeah. hadn't played together yeah. forever, you know. I fucking and love that. And we just made a big party. Like we just made a barbecue outside at you know grill and whatnot. We just spent the whole weekend playing. You'll never catch me. Up. You'll never catch yeah. me playing the uh, fucking high school band shit that I was doing, dude. <laughs> like a man, go reunion of Flatline, my new metal band, dude. Oh man, <laughs> uh, this this stuff was like it was Creator meets Terrorizer. You know, it was sick. And it, like you know, back then it cost a lot of money to so we could we were high school kids we could so terrorizer dude i gotta talk about terrorizer to somebody who experienced it like and like right around that time so it's like i did i had already been i'm i was the newer generation that already knew about the fucking blast beats and all that shit right. but the first time you heard pete play like that must have been like a whole new like way of hearing metal drums dude right? here's the thing about that um so at the time i was living in columbia Morgan angel was based in charlotte north carolina which was an hour and a half away and they had at the time it it wasn't a venue at the time but they lived at this house that eventually uh somebody bought the property and connected to the house that was next door to it to that house and made a venue out of it kind of thing so we would go there and see bands uh, you know, from Atlanta would come and play there. Morgan Angel played there. Nocturnus, like a bunch of bands coming through in the early days. It's like 87, maybe. I, I was three. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> some, maybe somewhere in that time period. I mean, we're all in high school, you know, so. Um, yeah, so I, I knew about them then, but they, at the time they had a drummer, Wayne. What was Wayne's last name? Professor's looking it up. Yeah, I can't. Yep. <laughs> uh, I 
I can't remember his name. Anyway, and he was a he was a he was a really interesting player. Kind of like that guy Steve from Confessor. You know, like Steve's got this really interesting way of playing, and and, and Wayne was kind of the same way. Wayne Hartzell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wayne Hartzell. Um, and he was playing some really interesting stuff. So I kind of saw those guys before anybody knew, you know, who they were, you know, um, Mm -hmm. Oh, hang on. That's the wife texting me. (laughs) Check. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. She's asking me what I want for eat, what do I want to eat for dinner? So what do you? Oh, so part of the pot, part of the podcast, part of the podcast. <laughs> what what are you what are you eating tonight? What's what's on the menu? I don't know. She that's what she was asking me. <laughs> <laughs> Probably going to be maybe uh some type of maybe tacos or something. Nice, nice. nice. That's always a go-to. always good, dude. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, those guys were playing um kind of back then, but it it wasn't what they turned out to be. You know, it was a completely different thing. So when they moved to Tampa and got pee, that was a completely different thing. They, they went from more of a thrash kind of thing to, uh, you know, actual death metal. Yeah. I still love that first record, man. Alters to me. I Listening, going back to the all, there is like a characteristic, like, uh, uh, the Ophidian Eye episode, they're talking about the Icelandic characteristics of music. Well, I mean, maybe just with like death metal, but you can kind of just tell what's out of Florida, dude, at that yeah, time. Yeah. They kind of. Yeah. There's there's yeah. a couple like off offshoots, like it's like, you know, with Canada and stuff too, like Montreal, there's some of the more like avant garde weird stuff. Yeah. And, and then there's some of the straight ahead death metal, but you can, I, overall, I can see what you're saying. I think it almost is like, Something Listen we to David Vince's our... vocals, and you'll realize like there was like this kind of like vocal style that was coming out of. Yeah, there was too. maybe like a pattern style, but I think almost like because I think maybe we did we like added that kind of might like, have been Chuck well, after that might have influenced all that. Because like well, you listen to like David Vincent, then you listen to Chris Barnes. Those are completely different styling of mm-hmm. vocals. You know what I mean? So I think mm-hmm. we just like yeah, but you got to remember too that they were developed in different parts of the country. And like that's okay. yeah. So now, now you're talking about like, okay, if if you say in death metal, for example, that San Francisco sound, mm-hmm. everybody knows. You know, if you say in the grunge community that Seattle sound, yeah, that's probably the most yeah. prevalent one, right? Yeah, you can even right. relate it to what we were talking about earlier with Hootie and the Blowfish. If you look at like that whole South Carolina thing between Hootie and the Blowfish and Edward McKay and some of the mm-hmm. other guys that came out of there, it's like it's kind yeah. of it's a sound. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like, and, and that that comes. See, this is this is another thing that I think is like people do not put enough emphasis on their local things. Like, ever all these bands again, this is something we said before the podcast when we we're talking, but I don't give a hell who you are. If your hometown doesn't love you, nobody else is gonna love you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. if you can't get your hometown to, to love you, then you need to change what you're doing if that's what you're doing mm-hmm. if you don't care and you're just playing for you that's one thing but if you're looking to be successful as a musician if you can't draw people in your hometown you don't have a chance anywhere else it felt people- fucking awesome for me to uh fill out a 120 person mm-hmm. capacity bar in my hometown dude to yeah, start I mean, a tour. yeah it was fucking yeah. awesome dude you don't have a chance anywhere else unless you can do that 
You literally you know, feel and, fucking good. You're like, oh, dude, I'm seeing high school homies. Like, what's up, dude? And I'm yeah, like, yep, oh, yep. God, yeah, yeah. I'm fucking... not support you. I mean, you know, I'll use Hootie as an example, but those guys were playing to a thousand people all night before anybody, any of you guys knew who they were. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? They didn't need Atlantic Records. They were they were doing well. <laughs> you know, For I mean, sure. obviously they saw the bigger picture that they wanted something more from what they were doing, and they knew that they could go there because they had the songs to do it because that's what they were trying to do. I don't Obviously. even think they can perform under that name anymore. I think they have to. I know Darius Rucker did some like solo shit too, but I think now they still have to go out as him because the name has some. No, they they just have not done anything. Those guys, oh, okay. they were smart. Their whole deal was really they they signed that whole deal with Atlantic on their own terms. You know, they they did pretty good with that whole thing. I, I mean, they they lost you. they lost money for the first couple of years. It's, from what I understand, just because yeah. they were they were doing so well anyway, and that's kind of what we go back to when we were talking earlier about Van Halen and Motley Crue, and like these guys were already packing a thousand people into whiskey before any of us knew who the hell these bands were, you know. And you know that's what it takes if you want to become the next legend, you know, doing anything. If you can't do that at home, you don't have a chance. Well, I think a lot of what yeah. that I think where maybe you're hearing probably kids and stuff coming up to you and, and saying like, you know, I just want to hit the road. I want to get out there, um, you know, with the like we we're talking about the Internet and, and music flowing through the Internet. Maybe like there's one like they have like 10 people that hit them up from fucking San Francisco. They're like, dude, you got to make it out here, man. And they're yeah. kind of like and they kind of get that kind of uh, starry eyed thing. And they oh, and look, like, I, I get it. I, I understand the allure to it. I mean, it's really all about escape because when you become a young adult, you're like you're faced with a lot of shit. Like you can either stand up and be responsible for yourself or you can go on tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And yep. that that takes a lot of to do both takes a lot of courage either exactly. way or other. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So no, that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, it's not it's not an either or thing, but it's 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 all about like the responsibility, the responsibility of taking control over your life. You know, yeah, a lot. You're saying a lot of people in those positions that are coming up to you and saying that that's probably their plan G. They're like, well, I can just go on tour and it'll be okay. Like they don't really have the the home. Like the you would be surprised how many people that that was their plan A. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. You have no idea over the years, you know, and like, and look, that's cool. If you're young enough, I always say, man, do it. You know, like if, if you can get out there and do it while you're young enough, go ahead. But if you're 35, 40 years old and that's what you're trying to do as a life, as a means to provide for yourself, I mean, and that's cool too. You know, it's just way more rough to do it like that. Some some people can 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 survive off of doing that. Yeah, that's actually what my dad told me too. It's like one of the lessons. My, I mean, when you know, I was member, I was sitting in a uh, a a college, like a community college room, and you know, doing like my whatever homework it was. But then we kind of, I was getting through text. I don't even know if we had text, but I was like, I got a word that we're gonna maybe go on tour, and I was like, you know, I was paying my community college and doing it myself and all that stuff, but also at the same time. My, my dad was like, I, I, my dad's a musician too, you know, kind of like local bar musician guy that always like never right. really did it, but wanted to do it kind of thing. And, uh, I asked him, I was like, what, sh- what, what should I do? And he's like, well, you know, one of my, I'm really close with my dad. And he was like, dude, you're fucking 20. He's all fucking do it. Like right now, do it. Right. Like this is your yeah. chance to fucking do it. You know what I mean? Exactly. 
yeah. yeah, to give it a shot and see if it's going to be for you. If it's for you, then keep doing it. If it's not, then go back. You can, you have time to come Did back. Did your dad and ever get opportunities like that when he was twenty, or is he? No, just no, no. He, 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 oh, okay. He, I think he's kind of like a later player. I think he probably started. He was like a mechanic and started. You know, he was like, you know, he had, you know, but he was already a, playing when you were born. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I he mean, may might have got into it maybe after oh, it was like okay. a hobby when I was born. I, I have no idea. I actually, need to ask him about that. But um, yeah, I think he basically got into music and was like, "This is fucking sick." But he had a full time job. He was raising me. He's raising you know like a family and shit. So like he actually was already having to have the the responsibility, and he was always getting involved with you know. He was already on a second marriage by the time that I came along. His first son came along. So he's like. He basically was like, just make sure, you know, like, like he would always give me the, the woman talks to was like, make sure it's the one like I've made these mistakes <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And he's all, I spent a lot of time on those mistakes. They really took a lot of my life away from me. And I think he's all, I think you're in the perfect position right now. Cause he got married at, I think 20 or something. And I was 20 and I was like, he basically was like, just go for it, man. He was like, yeah. fucking go for it. Like in my job was like, I had a manager that no, was we were 21. We were 21 because we were able to get a 20, 21. Okay. Yeah, I was 21. But he was like, just fucking, this is your chance. And my manager at my job was like, he was a drummer and was like, dude, well, I'll, I'll take you back. Go for it. Like, live the dream, man. Just go. And everyone was yeah. like, everyone was really supportive. And I really had like a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, I want to, I don't want to say leeway, but a lot of people behind me going, like, fucking just do it, man. Just don't think about it. Just go, you know? So that actually really helped me. A lot of lessons in that month too, dude. You know, yeah. you're like, yeah, young definitely. buck, dude. Yeah, no, I know. Right. I was. I mean, I just didn't. You know, like when you there's the the stereotypical thing of remember the even the the documentary of Rush where you're watching Alex Lifeson talk to his parents about how he's going to be a musician, and there's it's a, there's a circle of these like uh these uh they fled um you know the Germans and stuff like gnarly like. Jewish family that like went through fucking hardships and they're now their sons telling them that they're going to be like a rock star. And they're just like, well, no, the fuck you're not going to do that. Like, fuck. And like, there's a, there's a really actually, they, they filmed the conversation with him and his parents when he's a little kid, he's like probably 18 or 19 or something telling his family that I'm going to go do this. And they're like, you shouldn't do that. Like, that's the worst decision ever, blah, blah. And like, you know, he still persevered, obviously. And like, just to have go through that hardship on top of it, like I didn't, I was really thankful to not have to go through something where a parent was going like, no, I don't, you know, don't do that, blah, blah. I They're got very, resistance in the beginning oh. before that bloodletting when we first got that. I got some resistance yeah. from Pops because yeah. I was already working for him and shit. So he was kind of thinking about the business. But yeah. in reality, he saw that when I said, well, if you're not going to give me the time off, I'm quitting. He was like, oh shit. He's yeah, put your, you put your chips in. Yep. Well, yeah. I just want to say that I think it's kind of cool that the entire reason that we got to tour in the first place is because of actually the Derek Rowdy forum and on your website. Oh, that was that's like a right. big thing. Oh my God. Back. Yeah. yeah that was, yeah. that's how I met Matt. Explain that's how I that. got connected with that. That's oh, you're saying whole... with decrepit, but Otis yeah. was already gone. Yeah. But I mean, that's how we got to tour. Oh, cause Matt hooked up well, the yeah, unique like, leader. Yeah. Right, Matt and all oh, the, Matt everything that happened after. Before. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, met Matt, I met Matt through the, the Derek Rowdy forum. And then, That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. And then he <laughs> recorded the first Odious. You're a matchmaker, bro. You yeah. matchmake made and, uh, <laughs> some Cali Death Legends up in this bitch. <laughs> yeah. 
So <laughs> that was fun. Like the whole the man, the server got corrupted and we lost like all of that information, all of the stuff from the forum and went down. Oh so, really? Uh, Damn. Yeah. I've heard yeah. just like myths and legends about that forum. That's, I never checked that's it out. That's why go circle back to the physical copies of shit, dude. Right. Get yep. Lost in the fucking matrix. You know, that was a well, big you deal. know, growing up with the fanzines and stuff, and we used to get them in the mail. But yeah. I mean, yeah. I've still got a, like a little file cabinet that has some of that stuff from the eighties. I still have all my SOD magazines. <laughs> right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Know, you ever fuck with those uh, SOD magazines? That introduced me to a lot of shit, dude. It was a oh, magazine, yeah. uh, underground magazine that actually put in a lot of work and made it like a dope. Like, it's yeah, it was a like good a fanzine, like for sure. Thick it's paper, one of the ones at the make time, sure that yeah. it will last. High quality, high gloss. Yeah. yeah, it's good. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Derek, I want to get into. Um, we're, I know we're jumping all around right now, but I, I definitely one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the the. You trying out for Dream Theater and that whole process and, oh, and yeah, how, right. like how that because I mean yeah, I remember sure. seeing like I remember watching that that uh, documentary on it and then they're just like and they're like going through all the drummers and then I just see you on there and I'm like yeah what the fuck I tried yeah. out Derek Roddy like I didn't <laughs> yeah. even know that, any quick, idea about that yeah. that, happened, yeah, that, that happened with me too I was like visiting my old drum teacher in San Diego and he was like check it out man and he put it on and stuff and all of a sudden I'm like Derek Roddy's on there what the fuck yeah, it's like I thought you were about to say you were trying out for Dream Theater I was like that happened to you too dude. That's, uh, that's, right out for dream theater and i didn't know oh yeah no, funny. um <laughs> yeah yeah tell me about that tell me about that whole process going yeah, in getting the call sure. that thing it's really kind of a long convoluted story I'll, I'll i'll make it as short as i can my wife and i were going up to south carolina to see my folks and take a week or two off you know just work and whatever and grinding and uh we're about halfway up there at the trip and my phone starts ringing and it's like, you know, a couple of drummers I know. Let's say, all right, I'll call them back. And then, like, more calls start coming in. And more star calls start coming in. More calls start coming in. And it's like drummers I haven't heard from in years, decades, you know. And uh, and a few other, you know, random people I talk to all the time. And after about literally the 50th time my phone rang, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, so I pulled over, we took a break, and I started listening to the messages. And every fucking single one of them was, <gasps> dude, <sighs> did you hear Mike Portnoy quit Dream Theater? <sighs> dude, do you know anybody in that circle of people that I can get an audition? <laughs> and practicing yeah, I mean, for three days straight. Yeah, yeah. And like, no, I mean, literally, it, it was like within 20 minutes that Mike had put up, you know, on Facebook. And immediately my phone starts ringing. And I'm like, what the, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, that's the weirdest thing. Why would people be calling me? Like, I, I mean, I would understand, I mean, with the modern drummer connection and, and kind of like the drum clinic world, you know, but I mean, I've met Mike a handful of times, but I don't, I've never met any of those other guys, right? You know, maybe, maybe in just passing or whatever. So, and I've never really been a, like a huge dream theater fan. I, you know, I, I'm aware of them just through Mike's instructional videos to working at a drum shop pretty much my entire adult life, <laughs> you know, with it working or whatnot. So very familiar with the band or whatever, but didn't own any of their stuff and not, you know, not a fan, so to speak. Not that I didn't like it. I just, you know, I was probably listening, busy listening to Face Warning or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't your cup, like, exact cup of Yeah, yeah. So 
anyway, so we laughed about it, and I, I, my wife and I were like, you know, we giggled about it, and we're on vacation, and again, my phone next couple of days is ringing, you know, people, you know, trying to contact or whatever, and it came, it came up like a, maybe we drove up on a Saturday and on a Wednesday we're sitting on the beach or whatever to help with my parents, and my wife looks at me and she says, well, have you thought about what you're going to do when they call you? Yeah. And I looked at her and I laughed. I was like, they're not going to call me. Like, we don't even run in the same circle of people. I don't even know, like, I don't know anybody in that whole circle other than Mike. And, you know, apparently he's like out of the fold. You know, so. But you're fucking um, Derek Roddy, though, dude. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I, it's, I'm a history metal drummer. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah. As far as like the community knows, you know. So I just thought it was weird that she said that, and like we packed off and we're coming home like the next, the following Saturday. And it's kind of quiet in the car. I don't know what we're thinking about phone rings and it's an unknown number. And then leave a message, and I pick it up, and it was Frank through theaters management asking me if I was interested in the audition. Wow! Damn. And I thought that was hilarious. I just played it for Allie. And I was like, you got to hear this. And she was like, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like she, she knew. That, you she, know, caught like, that, she caught that energy way before it actually came, dude. Yeah, you yeah. Know, saw it coming. And that was like three weeks before it actually happened, I guess. And like, keep in mind, I don't know any drinking or stuff. I mean, like I said, just through Mike's DVDs. So they sent me over three songs. I learned I learned what I could because I, I was actually on a clinic tour at the time. So I, I had like really no no time to like really learn the stuff. But I mean, I, I knew it. And when I played with the guys, we played flawlessly together. It was like we've been playing together a long time. I mean, like I wish oh, there yeah. was more of that footage that was out there. It, it was kind of weird, too. I could tell those guys were kind of like deer in headlights without Mike because it was very obvious that Mike was the ringleader of everything in the mm -hmm. band beforehand. Because, like, I was after Mike Mangini. I was the second guy that auditioned on the first day. Wow. And um, we had gotten into the room, and, like, kind of the crew had taken a break to go eat. They had been in with Mike for several hours. It was, like, midday. I was coming in, getting the drum kit set up, whatever. And I ended up talking to, to John, the, you know, the guitarist, for most of the time and playing his rig. Cause I dabble with guitar a little bit too. And I remember like looking at his, he had at the time like the new Mark four, Mark fives. Yeah. Mark he's fives always been the, the biggest tone nerd. That's a bit like, out yeah. There. And I was like really geeking out with him or whatever. And we just kind of melted into jamming. And then like other John came in and Jordan came in and uh, we just started kind of jamming. And before I knew it, we had played through the stuff that I already knew. And we were kind of all jamming and the crew wasn't there. Nobody had hit record. We had, I mean, other than the cameras that were running full time. So that was the one thing we didn't, we didn't get any like really good footage of, of the audition, like really good audio. We had good footage, but we didn't have good audio. There's God, nobody man. pressed record on the multi-track stuff. So, so when you watch it, that's why the audio uh, is messed up. And it was just like, you could tell it was just so relaxed and like these guys didn't really know what to expect out of all the drummers coming in. You know what I mean? It was like, it was kind of just everything was kind of up in the air when we did, when we, when, at least when I did the audition. You know? God, um, I mean, that would be actually, I mean, with, if, if like 
you know, watching that documentary and all, the, all that stuff, watching all the, I mean, obviously you have Virgil, Virgil Donati, Marco Minim, like all these crazy oh, yeah, yeah, drummers yeah. in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Mike Mangini and all the things. But like, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, because I was thinking in my head, in the back of my head, I'm like, they're not going to pick a death metal drummer. They're just going to think it's, they're going to start, you know, like being like, oh, he's too extreme or something. Right, I, I knew, right. And I knew that like, and then they like interviewed John Petrucci. He's like, yeah, he's like, He's really fast with the blah, and I know that's what they weren't looking for. They were like, like really, right. like looking, like you know, for like the all over the place. But I was thinking to myself, like, if they actually like fucking picked you, I I would probably be like way more of a Dream Theater fan. Because <laughs> I know this, like, as far uh, as like what I you mean, bring, I mean, you, you, know, you bring like a more of an aggression to it, though. That I think that like as you know, because like they're to me like I I love Dream. I mean, I don't love them, but they're like a really amazing band. They're just musician wise or off the charts of musicianship. But um, they're very actually what you're talking about with like they're almost that band that like, you know, you're talking about the edits and stuff. They're that band that like plays so tight that like their sound kind of edited because they're like so tight, but almost takes almost takes like that. I don't know that that free life a little bit out of the music for me. It's just feels more like like kind of I don't know how to explain it. Just robotic. It feels robotic to me. And I feel like if they were to add you in the band and, and like give you some like crazy blast beat section or something, you know, do something different with their with what they were going for. I think you know that what's funny. You know what's funny about that is like the one section that they show on that is like a blast beat part. And like it's funny to me, all the dream theater fans are talking about, oh, what's a blast beat doing in dream theater? There shouldn't be blast beats. What's this guy doing? The one dream theater, or whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, that's what Mike played. Yeah, yeah, I know. you're just playing in the, the song. <laughs> like the old fans didn't know that there was a blast beat there, which tells you the impact of the part that he was trying to play. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, I mean, but still, it's. It, I just thought it was funny. Like the whole thing was. It was a, a very cool experience, and those guys are the coolest guys. They're like all, all of those guys are great. The record label stuff was a little bit underhanded because they were completely like upfront with what they were doing as mm-hmm. far as having an audition, you know. And, uh, yeah, but the whole experience was, was really great. I mean, those guys are awesome. And, and honestly, man, playing those songs with them, you know, from what I did know, I mean, you know, it, it felt great. Stuff yeah. was cool, you know. It was never anything about that. I pretty much played the songs the way they were recorded. I didn't. Yeah. I know Virgil went in and, and like played his own stuff over some certain things, and it was killer. You know, totally. from, from some of the footage that I saw, you know. But I know they weren't looking for that. You know? Yeah. Um, Dream Theater is one of those bands like Rush. You're not going to go in there and play Tom Sawyer different and gain any respect yeah. out of the fans. You know. No, <laughs> Dream Theater. You. Dream Theater is a lot like that. With yeah. the following the cult following that they have and stuff so right. change anything up like that would probably cause an uproar with their you know their yeah. diehard fans right unless it was something you know minute and it was really something that added to, i mean Mangini's doing a great job with some of that where he's at he's capitalizing on some of the stuff that was there and making it his own you know and that's exactly what people are supposed to do yep exactly exactly yeah, yeah man great yeah Oh, yeah. I remember Man- Mangini just like I see like because uh he was uh one of my best family friends uh teacher at Berkeley so like he was like a oh, big yeah. influence on him and he was like you know he was super stoked to see him in the band and stuff but do you did you ever understand I mean I'm not a drummer so this is coming from a non-drumming perspective but having his symbols that high up is that like a like a 
a shoulder nightmare for you? I don't understand like how you like. No, not really. I mean, I mean, it's kind of like Nico with his ride symbol, you know, like you get to a point where, you know, there's not a lot of tension in holding your arm here really, if it's got something to rest on, which is the ride. So it's the same kind of vibe. And I understand why I mean, I mean, look how high my symbols are from, yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, What's your favorite just, symbol out of all of those? That's <laughs> just because that's because of bleed. I'm yeah, trying okay. to get as much of this out of that microphone as possible. Yeah, so yeah, the yeah. only way it can happen is if it's further away from it. You know, gotcha. So, so there's more space between, so you don't get caught. Or so something, or? yeah, so Mangini is like that. He's a sound engineer's. They they love that oh, because they're not space. Yeah, you're getting yeah. the symbols away from the toms and you're getting a really oh, isolated sound live. Okay. That makes you know more I mean? sense to me. Definitely. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I always wonder why he did that. I thought he did it as like a, a stylistic kind of move. I'm serious though. I want to know what's your favorite symbol? That's a um, lot of symbols. I want to know what your favorite is. Well, I don't really have like a per se a favorite. <laughs> All the drummers around here are shaking their head. I, I would say like <laughs> I'm thinking of myself. I'm like, uh, every time I land on that one, I'm like, oh yeah, what's up? Well, if, I, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking just as far as the overall feel and sound, I just love a ride symbol. You know? Yeah. I actually agree with that, dude. It's kind of home base, kind of like just come right home. Yeah, home hats and, and ride, like to me, you're like the foundations, you know, you spend yep. 80% of your time as a drummer there. You know, I love so watching the, a bop, like <coughs> bop drummer go crazy on just the ride and snare. That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that that's the thing. Like it's a completely different mindset. That style of music. That's why a lot of rock drummers can't play jazz. And a lot of jazz drummers can't play rock. Mm-hmm. It's, okay. it's, it's a completely different approach to playing, mm-hmm. you know, Definitely, I totally. Agree. Derek, I wanted to ask you, like, so back in the day, it was like a like a super big deal to us, like when I Monarch, I Monarch came out, and, and you did that beat with the like the like alternate like feet. is it the two over like one or was it two the... and three or something like one foot? Oh, two over three. Right, yeah, dude. right. Case used to show this. Okay, to us. so I remember, like, can, as a can non-drummer, you... he would show us. Yeah, but I couldn't do it. I I could barely do the feet, but I couldn't do anything else. But but hmm. explain like how you came up with that. Like that was like the coolest. I I, w- I was blasting it today in my car, just going like, oh yeah, dude. <laughs> so no, just to, to, for the so listen good. for the listeners though, just to uh, talk about what I really do- like. I remember seeing one foot go like this, and one foot was going. One foot was going. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like it, a right? two over. Yeah, it's a two over I'm, I'm three. Just laughing at you. Well, just watching the feet, like I was like, my brain was like, ah, <laughs> my brain, and then watching you play over it, I'm like, how do you do you put that on autopilot, or how do you like do you just get yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you get used to the motion. Like that's. I remember seeing Horacio Hernandez, um, like one of the very first clinics he he ever played in America, um, here in South Florida, and. He was a guy that pioneered the whole left foot clave thing in the Latin drumming, right? And I remember there was a, a, a there was like a line twenty five people deep at the payphone because cell phones weren't really all that like people did have them, but it wasn't like a thing that everybody had. And I remember like the payphone line outside of Resurrected Drums when he was playing was like. 12 or 15 deep of drummers calling people like you got to come see this guy play drums damn <laughs> i mean it was nuts you know and like he was doing shit and that that always stuck out to me and then like when i started really like listening to guitar riffs when i was playing blast beats i was thinking to myself either between the ride symbol 
like playing patterns to, and it, it was all because of like, as we started playing on bigger and bigger stages, like the band members started getting further and further away. And when you're playing fast music, that sucks. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah. so all the ding, 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 the thing I'm kind of known for, for blasting, that all came out of necessity just so the people I was playing with could hear one. One, two, three, four. So if you're 25 feet away from me, at least you still have, because it takes time for that amount of space to travel, you know? Mm. So as we started getting on bigger stages, that's how all of that came into play. So outside of that, I was thinking like, wow, it would be cool if I could play some other instrument. Ding, 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 you know, between my left foot because I was playing glass beats with one foot. I just thought it was like the cool textural kind of thing that I could do. And I, I, again, that was me. Remember I was talking about earlier with Sean and I was like, I had, I was looking for a voice and I thought that I had my own voice. And then I heard that I had to change directions this that was one of those things where i was like you know i'm not hearing anybody do this in the metal world let me adapt this into my playing and that that led to a lot of the stuff on i monarch too yeah it's like you're like the danny carey of death metal a lot of the multi-pedal stuff and yeah and that by the way is just single strokes right it's just right left right left right left right left right left right it's just the placement is two over three and that was something that like I've never been the type of player that would buy Virgil or Marco's book and go through those exercises. I was more of a visual player that saw what they were doing and I would adapt that to what my body could already do. Mm. And that two over three thing was natural. Like I could do that from the moment I sat down and I guarantee every one of you, that's a drummer. If you went to your kit and you put a sound source down there on both sides, you could come up with a pattern that your body could naturally do that you can play time with. And everybody's different, you know what I mean? So it, it, it affects us in different ways. But if you put the sound sources there and you just move right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, and just move around, you'll find something that your body can naturally lock into. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? So that's how oh, that yeah. came about. It wasn't that I sat down and was like, oh, I've got this idea. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was just something that was like, okay, I can do this. And then we wrote shit around it, you know? Nice. Yeah, it's the um, separation of limbs that always trips me out with drummers, dude. Like, you got four different limbs doing four different things, and you yeah, know, but that's like, more of a separation of brain. That, I that's know that, but that still trips me out that you guys can separate all them and put them into kind of like an autopilot realm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it, it comes exactly, down to exactly th- that's exact thing, dude. Yeah, I yeah, think it comes down to like that. your your musical vocabulary and and how comfortable you are with different rhythms, say from different cultures, right? Mm-hmm. So, so like you know, African rhythms, even though all of that stuff migrated to the islands and, and into Puerto Rico and stuff, and into Cuba, like those rhythms in Cuba and Puerto Rico and Africa are completely different from each other. Yeah, you know, so like once once you start to understand what those differences are, that's how you break down what you're talking about, Anthony, you know what I mean? Like how can your brain, like if you, if you start listening to stuff, that's not just Western contemporary two, four music, your, your brain will get used to hearing like Indian music. There's a lot of five and there's a lot of seven. That's Mm -hmm. their four, four. Like you play four, four for them and they don't get it. 
When yeah, you were yeah. talking about Ma- Mahavishnu earlier, uh, John McLaughlin's uh, Shakti project is Zakir what- saying that Zakir. Yeah, Zakir. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so did I say it wrong? Oh, sorry. No, no, Shakti is uh, the band, but Zakir Hussain is the tabo player. Oh, right. okay, yeah. yeah. So that 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 project broke my head open again after already being into like tech death and all these crazy different time signatures and syncopation and shit. But then yeah. I came across that, and I was like, oh wait, no, I was I was still an infant. I was still an infant listening to this, and now here's the real shit. That yeah. being outside yeah. of time, but in time and like so much the counting in that alone just like blows my mind. And I think Zappa was a big breakdown for a lot of people for that in, in mm-hmm. my generation. At least. Mm-hmm. All right. Can I, I got to go to the bathroom again. I'll be right back. Do it. <laughs> Sorry. Me too, actually. You guys talk about. Uh, go for it. Peeing or something. We'll talk about. Right. Peeing. Uh, we'll talk about Zappa, dude. Let's who's your what's your favorite Zappa records, guys? I don't know. I mean, I like love Zappa. I used to have a bunch of vinyls, like so many different ones, and uh, like Joe's Garage and different ones. I mean, they're all like so good. There's so know. many. I think you I, did like know. like, like, like eighty plus albums before you passed. I'm like a simple Zappa fan. I just do Hot Rats and Apostrophe, and those Apostrophe. are the only only two ones that I've really. Apostrophe is a really yeah. fucking good record, though. It's the reason why. That one's kind of higher on the list for a lot of people because there's the variation. And so what what is it? Apostrophe. And then there's the album before it or after that, that is really the only Zappa lineup that stuck together for more than one album. So that shows you what Zappa is like for one as a guy who's, he's just one of those dudes that's like, I'm so focused in my craft and I just need to find the best players to do it. And if you can't do it, you're, you're out and I'm finding somebody else. That's what I feel like he was, dude. What do you guys think? Yeah. Oh, I man. think you're it's right. It's like, <laughs> crazy. Yeah. It's like constantly reinventing. Well, if you think about 80 situation. plus albums yeah. and then not one original, yeah. like the same lineup, except for two records. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. That's like wild. That's kind of Chuck Schuldner, but like way gnarlier because he did 80 plus records. Is true. is there a death lineup that's the same? There isn't. No. Not album to album, no. Yeah. Um, Derek, I, I wanted to ask him about ask about another uh drum innovation I'm imagining came from you, which is the use of uh auxiliary snares during blast beats. And adding a aux snare as like a as a backbeat during a blast, or yeah. uh, you know, a lot of that is that is that is it right to say that you were innovating a lot of that stuff and coming up with some of that? <laughs> that all came about because I was torn, you know, about what to play. Like this, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, like this part would be so cool with the blast beat, but it'd be cool with double bass and like a backbeat. You know, so yeah, I was like, well, fuck, exactly. why can't I do them both? You know, yeah, yeah. So it just kind of started there, you know. And yeah. I started thinking about ways that I could like incorporate like downbeats and different things. I mean, I didn't get crazy with it, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I again, it was like Eric and I will like with Hater Journal when I joined the band. It wasn't so much the same with the first record, but when I joined the band, I kind of told him like, yeah, I just want to out endurance everybody, and he was familiar with it. Cold blood and my drumming from that that I had sent him. 
you know, so we kind of just said like, it's all going to be, it's going to be nothing but blast beats and double bass. And like out of the, you know, 20 something songs that we wrote together, there's only two songs that have, or yeah, two songs that have skate beats and they like Slayer beats, you know, so everything else is either hauling ass blast or double bass. <laughs> so it was kind of the thing that we just said like, all right, this is what we want to achieve. Yeah. And, and we were trying like, look, you know, if, if you can make it through more than three or four or five songs of this, God bless you. But, I mean, yeah. we were literally shooting for that. You know what I mean? Like we, <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, it was up to me to try to come up with, I was just torn a lot of time. Like, man, this would be so cool. With like, I know that we said blast beats and double bass, but this would be so cool. with just, uh, uh, you know, so I was like, all right, well, fuck it. Why can't I do both of those things? You know? Yeah. That's so cool. Um, I also wanted to ask in terms of like the equipment and technology at the time, did you feel like you were needing advancements in, in drum equipment to support the speeds that you were trying to hit? No, no. I mean, I, I've always been curious about that because today it seems like there's almost like kind of like a war between the pedal companies and the trigger companies and everything. And I was just wondering if like that was, I just think that's what social media makes it out to be. I mean, at the end of the day, you still got to play the damn thing, you know? So mm-hmm. you still play access. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've, I don't really, I've got the same pedals, the frames on these pedals. I'm playing now are the same ones that I've had since I think nineteen ninety. Wow. Damn. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I travel, I travel with a newer set or whatever, as far as my personal pedals, I've had these things. I've got mm-hmm. the carbon footboards. I've, I've had actually, if I were to show you these things, I'd be embarrassed because they're so bright. But uh, I've had the carbon footboards for about uh, six or eight months now. Mm-hmm. Like they have a little more of a like a little more of a spring in them. They're not as rigid feeling as the aluminum boards. Uh, Casey's yeah. pulling out his pedals. It looks like I like it. Yeah. Thought I saw a pedal flying. Oh away. yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean wanted... I, I've ahead, always Dave. if it's not broke, don't you know, and then what's funny is, is that if I wasn't playing fast music, I probably wouldn't even play an Axis. I'm I like a good old five thousand or like a Camco, you mm-hmm. know, like a, mm-hmm. I like that kind of vibe on a pedal, but if I wasn't playing fast music, I'd probably just play a DW five thousand single chain. Yeah. So Derek, I wanted to ask you, um, or strap, actually, I like the strap version. Oh yeah, for sure. The straps. So Derek, I had my pedals like, like rebuilt from Axis like, like like years ago and I like hit them up and you, you had to put out your signature pedal and then Uh also Kalias had his pedal and I had them do like a hybrid of like what you guys innovated on your pedals. And I was, I wanted to ask you and double check. So this curve right here, on the on the board here they said that was like your design like a, yeah. instead of it being flat it is and i love it and i want to know what like where that came from because you're that's genius well we were looking for like if the regular axis pedals uh where it goes in flat you know at right. a 90 degree right the power point of the pedal actually is it's literally through the head Right. So which is why when you play on those old school ones, it feels like you're going like an inch past where the surface is at. If that makes sense. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's an 
And honestly, I prefer it when I'm playing, like right now, the pedals that I have on here, are they're not mine. They're the original, just regular A long board. Because um, hmm. I'm doing all of this really fast shit with Surface Rise right now. Um, so when you're saying that when the hammer hits, it feels like it's behind your foot? No, it feels like it's through the head. Okay. It feels like it's an inch further than it should into be. the head In, the into drum. the head like okay. past the head you know wow uh with my pedal the the, the full power fulcrum is right when it hits the head so it gives you kind of a feel between like the original axis feel and like a chain drive so it's kind of somewhere in the middle so you get a little more like oomph out of it which is really good like when i was doing a lot of clinics i was playing a lot of I was playing death metal. I was playing some surface rise stuff, but I was also playing a lot of that tromedy material, a lot of the menace material that I did with Mitch from Napalm Death. So I needed a pedal that could do both. And remember a minute ago, as I said, if I wasn't playing fast, I'd be playing on a 5,000. Mm -hmm. um, my pedal is a good medium between the two because I can play fast on it and feel comfortable, and I can also play slow on it and feel, feel comfortable. That's awesome, um, dude. Fuck it's yeah. hard. It's hard to play on the original for me, at least on the original axis pedals. It feel like I have control over slower tempos. Yeah, I know what you mean. Because yeah. they're 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 constantly pushing against you because of how where the where the power point is, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So my pedal doesn't really do that as much. So that was that was the reason why we did that. I feel like going fast with like is is great with like with this angle. Like I have like no, I mean. Oh, it is. You can get a lot yeah. more. You can get a I lot more. It. Yeah. Out of it, you know. And, I, and if you've got the strength to do it, but when I'm like cooking, like you know, two fifty or two fifty five, two sixty up yeah. in that range, I like the feel of the regular ones better. Yeah. You know. Did Did you ever fuck with this thing? This like crazy Terminator looking thing. Yeah. Yep. 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 I love that uh, thing, dude. Is that the Kalias thing that you're talking I think about? It is. Oh, they said it was. No, it's just a micro tuner. They they had that out before, but yeah. George put them on. I have them on mine too. What, just because they're they're oh, they're a lot easier to adjust. You don't have to crawl <laughs> under the pedal. Whoa. Yeah. It's got like a jiggle to it. I also changed out the long boards back to my sh my old short boards. Yeah, and dude, I, like, I hear I love it actually. That, man, <laughs> so I was playing on a friend of mine the other day. Short. Like how much it's, is different? Exactly that. <laughs> as it's, as it's no, I understand, but like, is it like, like inches or just like an inch? All right, here's the best way to think about it. The short board has a hill plate on the back of it. So it okay. pushes the bearing edge up about three inches where the long board comes all the way back to the end uh, of the Oh, okay. Uh, right, so okay. it's about okay. another yeah. inch, inch and a half or something like that. Does it yeah. not have a heel plate on the long board? No, it doesn't. It does so the knows. angle. So then that means the angle of the foot's totally different too. This is a little short, bit, right? Yeah, it's a it's little brought flatter up in the actually. back. It's brought yes. up a little bit in the back, which so, is why a lot of these guys play in double strokes. I was about to ask you about double strokes. Was my next question? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, like I don't know. I'm obviously not a drummer and stuff, but I remember like touring in 2000, you know, eight, nine, ten, like around that time, and and that was like the the new like well, you know, touring with like long strats and stuff like that. That was like the the new like technique that everyone like that was yeah, sure. trying to be well, and now, now I see early it. in the 20 i'm not taking over i just want to say back in the yeah. early 20s it was everybody was like you got to go heels down heels down but it seemed like then it changed to like bringing i don't even know up. yeah yeah <laughs> i think it's two different slightly different topics i don't know 
All right. <laughs> so, dude. Yeah, yeah, we're not. These guys the just. This, this is the two non <laughs> drummers getting on it. But, but double uh, strokes. Yeah, I, I suck at them. Derek, what do you think about double strokes? Yeah, what do you think about doubles, like in general, as far as feet. like uh, technique and as far as like, you know, I know that you're very pure in your craft. So, I mean, when a new technique comes out like that, what do you think about that? I mean, it's not so much a new technique for the most part. I mean, you can go back to Matt. In Trump, death metal. Well, in death Big. metal. He was doing it in the 80s. Okay. Mr. Virgil, Virgil Donati was like the first guy doing yeah but yeah oh yeah he was way yeah. back okay. but he was doing heel up like actually playing double like strokes doubles like, like, oh, he was playing okay. each note like whereas live, nowadays like it's, it's catching the middle and right? bouncing the second note okay 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 so yeah. it doesn't matter if it's it's the same motion right okay yeah. So that's the difference. Whereas Virgil was actually, you know, if he was playing that, 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 now he's got to play He's got to actually play those notes. So it's a, a totally different thing. Like, it's yeah. a totally different kind Boxing of thing. Like, da, 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 da. Not, sort of. Yeah. And Dang. it's like, a, it's like you're getting the rebound off of that, off of yeah. the first stroke, you know, and then you get the second note by it hitting. So you get the first note here and the second note when it hits the, the surface up top, right? Yeah. So it's got the same kind of idea. It's like a press roll for your feet. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have a preference either way. <clears throat> I think some riffs feel better playing double strokes, and it doesn't matter if it's super fast or even slow. I mm -hmm. like playing double strokes at like the 180, 160 range. Okay. It just, it's got a different feel, you know? Yeah. It feels different than singles, you know? Singles got a more direct kind of feel. Um, I don't, I don't really have a preference for it. Really, you know, I, th yeah. I think that it's an application that's viable for whatever music you're trying to apply to. No, I mean, if that's all you're doing, you know, then and, you know, and if it doesn't have any merit as far as uh, you know why it's there, like there's a lot of guys that you know that play really fast, and like I, I listen from ten feet away, and all I hear is cymbals. You know, so there's a yeah. lot of drummers that are out there that are playing fast. And they got all this great technique, but they can't project their drum sound more than 10 feet. You know, so yeah. that at some point it becomes like, what's more important? Mm -hmm. You know, how how you sound to you or how you sound to the audience? Yep. You're right. So, you know, this is something I learned a long time ago, which is why everybody that I, I mean, most people that you talk to, something that comes up about me is like, oh, I can tell it's Derek Blasting right away because of the sound. You know, and that's something that I I realized a long time ago that like I wanted to have my own identity. You know, nice. I wanted people to know that it was me. Well, know? as a non-drummer, actually, so to that point of not pushing the sound out to the crowd, as a non-drummer, um, understanding that there's there's triggers. So like you know, understanding that there's something still hitting and it's still gonna project a sound out there, whether right. it's it's. But that, that's through a PA. I'm talking about just your natural alive, sound. Alive. When I'm when I'm standing I mean, ten feet sound. away on the side of the stage. Yeah, gotcha. you know what I mean. I'm not hearing the PA. I'm just hearing your. I'm hearing you, you yep. as a drummer, as okay. a person. Like, what gotcha. am I hearing? And it's mostly cymbals. Like, I no yeah, snare yeah. drum, no toms, definitely no kick drum. You know okay. what I mean? And that's most everybody that I watch nowadays. And I'm thinking to and myself, yeah. sorry. So, what's the end game? Yeah. Is it to yeah. sound good to you or to sound good to the audience? Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I've I always, well, I never really cared about what I sound like, what oh. I sounded like. I yeah. always cared, like, for me, because I grew up in the studio, 
I what a microphone hears and what I hear, especially like on a guitar cabinet, for example, are two totally different things. Totally. This is why when you listen to a guy that's got a guitar sound and a ring, it sounds good. You put the microphone in front of it, it sounds like shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if that's not understanding that a microphone doesn't hear the way your eardrum hears, and you have to compensate for that. So I grew up my whole life in the recording studio trying to get the most, not the most pure, but the most, well, yeah, the most pure sound that I needed at the time. And that yeah. went back to like, you know, playing blast beats for me, I slightly choked the stick up a little bit to get a specific sound that's identifiable to me. And then like every, all of my drummer peers tell me like, dude, I, I know it's you just to snare along. I know it's you, you know, and I've worked for that. Like listening to the serpents rise stuff. I've, uh, you know, I going to be honest and say that I didn't really check that out too much, but in our preparation for this episode, I'm having fucking Derek Roddy on my show. I need to listen to everything that he's done and it's still fucking you dude. Like it is totally (laughs) you. So you're talking about rules. The choking the stick, though, because you're saying that that gives you more like tightness in the snare. Is what you're talking about? The choking of the like, yeah, it's more, it's, like, it's more it, like aggressively like hitting the it's snare. Like, it's almost like it puts a, a hat on the note. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, it just yeah. adds a little bit of. Like, I yeah. don't know if you can hear this or not, but like, look on the Let's counter here, right? Go so yeah, yeah. So, right, so I'm just playing on the counter here. So that's like the stick open with just fingers. Right? Yeah, yeah. If I choke it, listen to the sound change. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom knows the sound change because <laughs> Zoom cut it out. That's that's, but that's a good point though. Boy, I mean, I'll, I'll do it lighter. Different. I'll do it lighter. Hang on. It's still doing it. Mm-hmm. That, that's oh, what's crazy. Same. I mean, there's that's we can tell there's a big change in sound because yeah. Zoom it like literally cuts out the frequency because it, it's trying to like catch a different frequency and it's yeah completely i mean it goes from like a tuk 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 to a tick 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 yeah 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 you know what i mean it's a higher frequency that zoom cuts out yep yeah yeah so it's like you know what sound are you going for so that that's kind of always been something that i've i've thought about you know that's always been really that's been really important to me you know, just, like just yeah. stick alone can change the sound of a snare. That, yeah, the that's grip of really a stick. Caught, yeah. That's never yeah, really yeah, crossed yeah. my mind and, and, until this conversation right now. Well, it's like a guitar that. pick. It's, you yeah, know, like true. you can, you know, Wait, shut the fuck up. The way that well. you guys change your, the way you hold it changes the way that the guitar sounds. Of course. A guitar yeah. pick. Yeah. 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 It's where your yeah. palm is. Where okay, you, yeah, dude. I am so, I'm such a novice <laughs> right now, dude. It is insane. Yeah, totally. No, no, I mean, that's what like when we were when we had uh, Mike 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 Keen from Faceless on, um, he made a really good point, and I've heard this point made a million times. Where we're asking about, oh, what pickups are you using? What what amps are you using? He's all, he's all trade secret is it's in your hands. It's it the is. fucking it's like like Dimebag played a terrible sounding amp, but yeah, like to any like any if you were to go buy that amp, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? But yeah. Dimebag made it sound amazing because that's just the way he played through it in his hands. He yep. makes anything sound good. You know what I mean? It's yep. like, it's one of those things that he said, like, sound is in you, man. Sound exactly. is in, inside you. And, exactly. you know, it sounds like the whole guitar industry is fake, then, dude. That's, like, that's what's been lost. You 97% know, of the people buying this shit are just trying to find something well, I mean, to make them a rock star when really it's all you. Oh, I mean, kind of. I mean, the, the, like, what, what we're kind of getting at is like, you know, like the, the gear is definitely like a, 
it's like an addiction is getting gear to a lot of people. It's like, right. if I got Jordans, myself, I can dunk on you, bro. Yeah. It's pretty much that. It's like, if you have the it's little, that pl- kind of, that's that idea. Exactly. Yeah. It's that idea. It's like you plump up the little tongue on the little, what was it that Ted Nugent said? <laughs> Ted Nugent said something about playing Eddie Van Halen's rig. He said, man, I, I look so forward to playing Eddie Van Halen's rig. And when I did, I just sounded like Ted Nugent playing Eddie Van Halen's rig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's true, you know? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Like I can sit down and play this drum kit and I'll have somebody else come and play on it. And it sounds nothing. It doesn't sound the same, you know? Yeah, and what's weird is you can record it and it won't even sound the same. Yeah, and and I pick and choose how I'm gonna play. Like, like if I'm playing a really fast part, and you know, you already know that I'm like choking up the stick to really get it like really staccato, like, and it's the same thing with the toms. If I was to come up on the toms and play really open around, like it's not the same thing as when you go and like you're you're really digging into it, you know. And yeah. those notes are really like if you listen to Nils when like some of those live dark funeral things and listen to him playing the toms, like he really digs into the drum head. People talk about oh he plays so hard. He doesn't really play that hard. He just digs in. Like choking. the sound is yeah, he's choking the drum before it ever even has a chance to do anything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And that's inherent of his natural playing. Yeah. You know, yeah. somebody else could come up and play that drum kit and it's not gonna sound like that. What yeah, a trip. Right, so right. yeah, I always thought that too. I always thought like seeing people play like, oh, he plays really hard, but it's more maybe in sometimes in his hands. It's more talking. the conviction of what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. You know, and the awareness of like the you know, as drummers, like we're we're different from a lot of other musicians because like when you like say for instance, when you look at a piece of music, right, and you see all these black dots on it. Like for drummers, that's all we ever really think about is the black dot, right? So if you ask a drummer to play a 16th note, just one, right? Okay, so play an eighth note, just one. Play a whole note. Yeah. A dotted eighth. (laughs) Right. Right? So what makes those notes mean anything is not the actual black dot, but it's the space in between that black dot to the next black dot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where your identity as a player lies because the note totally. is just the note. Right. Oh, yeah. Man. I, I love so it. So, like, love it. so you as an individual in that space until the next note, and like, especially drummers, and I guess guitar players too, when you start getting into notation and stuff, like, you're so concerned about the black note that you're losing yourself. Mm hmm. Yep. You know what I mean? That you're losing what it is that you're that the purpose that you're there to begin with, right? Yep. Um, that makes sense. And and that's just one that that's what I find is missing, you know, from Yeah. Everything's put on a grid and made perfect. And I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how many drummers that have gotten you know, all of my friends basically, like, dude, they fucking put my shit on a grid and made it perfect and it doesn't sound real, and people are gonna be like, That's not real. And, yeah. <laughs> is every drummer friend I have after every record they record, they call me bitching about the same thing. Right. You I mean, know? Casey was the same well, way going. And I think, I think a lot of it had to do with you probably was, well, was like, Casey was just like in, in the fucking cryptic implosion thing going like, don't fucking, yeah, don't we, fuck we with left my shit. A lot of that unedited for sure. So, you yeah, know, there's a vibe obviously, obviously I've done stuff that's been edited and unedited. So I've done both, but on, on the newest odious actually i did it totally unedited just because i was like fuck man it's been 13 years and like i'm not going to compete with all these double kick like 300 beats a minute like dr-. i'm just like 
I'm just gonna do it raw, man. I don't even care. Yeah, and if people do don't thing. like it, cryptics it's fine. raw yeah. as fuck, dude. I just yeah, recently a lot of that's just totally to a couple raw. of cryptic songs, and I'm yeah. like, dude, we are all. There's parts where you can kind of, if you really zone in, like there's a uh, three vocal parts and one starts earlier than the other two, and you're just like, this is this was us. Like just Anthony does it all live. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I'm just saying, like everything, like yeah. we were all in. The, you could tell that raw aspect was yeah. still there, dude. But I, yeah. I wanted to make a point to, just for a minute, like, like I've I've, I've seen, of course as you have Derek and all of us, like so many different drummers live. And I've seen people who really shred that double, like, like long strength and stuff. And he, he plays with feel and love and, and, you know, he's amazing and stuff, yeah. but, yeah. but, but, uh, like, you know, everyone's now like a blast machine and doing, doing the doubles. And it's like, everyone just pulls it out now. Like, like it's, it's the new trick out of the hat, you know? And that's great and stuff. Because it's um, easy to do. I'm I'm like slightly jealous because I can't do it, so it's cool. But it's but, um, easy to do. Yeah, I can literally show yeah. you in a ten so, minutes. I'm sure Skype you can session. fucking do it. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I, I need to just figure out the yeah. I can hey. do doubles with my right foot, but my left foot just is not down. Ten, a but, ten minute Skype session. I'll have let's you do it. There you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Up, yeah. Down. Up. There oh, yeah. I'm yeah. loving yeah. it. But I wanted to say like, just like just to bring it back, like dude, like people, like it's like okay, like just me like watching you when I was 17, for example, I'm just less like, I had no idea that someone could play drums like that. Like it like blew me away. I could not believe like how, and like those, like doing the single strokes and doing it all, like it just all right there in front of me. Like it's just so sick. And like another thought I had was like, like when we played the Maryland death fest, the only time with odious, uh, we kind of played a bad set and I like played way too we fast. And all sloppy and all, we played whatever. The, the, the point is, I was super burnt. And then that at the point. end of the set, all of a sudden I'm sitting behind the stage and Dave Kouros just walks up and plays this set with like malevolent creation. And like, I was like, Oh, that's how it's done. <laughs> like, I get it. And it was just like you, Roddy, it was right. just like tearing into it, dude. And people need to, and then also with you with all the Tom stuff, like I've seen you twice with, with Hate eternal. I saw you like later also at, at the galaxy, like, I don't know, two, two or three years later with, you know, on that tour. And, uh, dude, seeing you live, man, like, did, did you have the 20 inch kicks? Is that what you were using? Yeah. 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 That's I'm right. I'm five ten, so I'm not you yeah. know, I'm the tallest guy. So I'm I, I just sick, always though. felt. Hey, dude, fun. I'm only five seven, dude. dude so you there you go. We're yeah, fucking. Yeah. We're so you'd be comfortable on 20 inch kick rooms. <laughs> <laughs> People just don't know what it's like, dude, seeing like, like the obscure terror, like live right there. Just, just like, oh. That was so, that would mean, dude, that was fun. Fuck, fun times. Sick. You know, yeah, dude. Yeah. It's definitely fun. A lot, a, a lot of great memories. As a person who doesn't dig deep on most of the bands, Derek Roddy's name has always been a name that I remember when it when it comes to like thinking of the quintessential death metal drummer. I know now we're yeah, getting to the sure. part where we're just gonna keep on fucking tickling you, Derek, yeah, right now. But yeah, that's man. exactly what we're doing right now. And and when I was young, hearing Black Seeds. Now that I know that you weren't performing but still hearing black seeds like the some of the most extreme drumming i had ever heard at the that time in my life was your drumming so yeah fuck dude here if you would have i'm talking to my 16 year old self in my head right now like dude I'm interviewing the guy that you're listening to right now and that if we're gonna dish out compliments this is the compliment as a non-drummer is that being on tour with so many other drummers and not knowing and and people and me thinking like oh this guy I'm on tour with this other band 
that's the crazy drum they're like that's not like roddy's like way sicker like mm-hmm. they would always be like like they would always throw your name oh, out. that's that funny be, i know i know like wow. like as, as a person that doesn't really know you know i've never can't, can't barely keep a fucking green day beat like and, <laughs> and and talking to other drummers and having no knowledge on it um speaking to other drummers like your name would come up like pretty much like 93 percent of the time would be like Oh well, Derek Roddy is the best death metal drummer. So, oh, that's uh, well, like, and it would be like my favorite. I would, like my favorite like drummers I would talk to, and they would say your name like like all the time. So like coming from like a non drumming background and just like that's collecting funny. data, like you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. That, that right. would be like your name would come up like as like like I'm like well who's the best then? Because I would like watch a, a really crazy drummer live on some humongous tour and and like be like fucking mesmerized by him. And uh, I would talk to the, the the drummer, and they'd just be like, "Oh, you know, Derek, Derek Roddy's Roddy. bicycle." Like, like <laughs> that's so funny, you know. I mean, and that, I mean, dude, that's flattering as hell too. I mean, you know, but that's I think that comes back down to kind of what we were talking about earlier, like projecting who you are as a player to the Individual people, like connecting, hobby, yeah. being more concerned about what you sound like to your audience than you do with yourself, you know? And that, that's Definitely. something that I, I never thought about what I sounded like to myself. I always thought about what do, what do I sound like to the people in the back of the room? Yeah. That's, exactly. you know, like that was the thing that was always on my mind. And I think that maybe was what made the difference that made all of those people say that. You know, totally, yeah. dude. you're playing. I, to I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, I'm just taking the guess, but no, That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, we're it's... all doing, we're all doing what has already been done. I do. So yeah. I remember gonna... watching Pete, you know, and then thinking to myself, like, God, man, like, is it, is it possible to do anything like really above what he's doing? I mean, the answer was no. And it's still no. Can you do more of it? Yeah. Can you do it with more color? Yeah. Can you take it further than he took it? No. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is strange how that is for a lot of different things, too. Yeah. Humans- it's the same thing with guitar players. Like, dude, I was watching this, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, great guitar players online nowadays. But, you know, I, I, I find myself not trusting what I'm watching because I yeah. know, like, how easy it is to fake a lot of stuff. And then I went back and I was watching uh, Crying in the Rain, White Snake with Adrian Vandenberg, like there's a solo in there and it's like from 1987 and he shreds every motherfucker that exists today. In 1980, I mean, dude, it's so ridiculous and it's live and it's coming off of a console, like just right, left stereo, you know, audio coming off this thing. And he shreds every dude that plays today, a new asshole. You you know know what what I mean? And it's ridiculous. Like, like my number one thing right now hearing you talk right now and 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 the past guests and stuff because my favorite like guitar player right like a new guitar player is that guy west Howell from alluvial but yeah. he's the same thing Shout that you out were west, saying. Dude. he was the same thing that you're saying he was like talking about all the the youtube guitar players and stuff and dude will just like has this soul to him that like it's like dime bag meets like some progress like fucking crazy progressive shredding jazz yeah. guy He's we're got doing these, a like, lot of mixtures. loops, not in a bad way, but we're doing a lot of loops because we're touching on a lot of the same things with all these different. Pe- it's making us yeah. think of all these different people. But now he's like releasing like 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 today or yesterday. He was like talking about all these people like miming over fucking shit and not playing not it. Blah blah. blah. It's like, in he's that like, dude's pick. It's in he was that embarrassed pick, to dude. like even no, he's embarrassed to even like do a YouTube video. He's like, I don't yeah. want to be a part of that. I don't want to be part of that. But but like now right. he's like in a you know a, a amazing. His band is fucking amazing. Alluvial. 
And he yeah. literally now he's posting his solos just to a. That's he's doing the solo to it. And there's yeah. it's only just him playing. Yeah. yeah, just a click and him doing the solo to it. Nice. And it's like nailing it. And it's like, fuck, man. See? Like, that's like that kind of shit where you're just like, that's the gangster move. You know, it's like as a guitar player, like that's the most scary gangster move that he's doing. There's no there's no rhythm track to him. There's no drum to it. He's just going to a click and doing the full solo perfectly. And I'm just like, all right, well, touche, brother. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> hard. To very, share. <laughs> yeah, very impressive, yeah. you know, and the same same kind of thing you're saying. He said the same thing just as far as the recording and all the crazy fucking shit that's going on. And and he's kind of the old school, you know, he's he's a little older than us. You know, he's and uh, basically just all the editing and stuff like that. He's like trying to go, you know, to a new level and and be like an actual fucking, you know, he's on he's done solos for Marty Friedman now and he's doing solos right. for like all these like humongous. Well, people as now, a real artist, don't you want to actually represent yourself? You know, you yeah, don't... I mean, the, people want to. Yeah, but no, people don't. No, people exactly. want to sound like people. other people. They want to represent. Not, they want. They want to make sure. You get a, the most then, I, do you call that a real artist? Then, well, well I mean, I mean yeah. that, to see that's the differentiating. That's the differential. And now. I'm not trying. I'm not. I'm not. Whoever you know, because with the I'm samples, everything that you happens either. with I've, production. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing. Like every record nowadays has the same snare drum sample. And like when I grew up, DSI was different than Malevolent. Was different than Obituary. Was different than Morbid Angel. Was different than as fix was different than in tune was different than because they, they had no other the choice yeah they, be, they were just yeah. themselves they they yeah. couldn't be anybody but themselves exactly now on recordings you can be anybody you want to be totally. you can use this guy's fucking you know preset for his guitar sound you can use this guy's kick drum sound and that drum guy's hair from hell sound. or whatever the and, fuck you know so and this turned it and i never thought that i would see the day that metal would become more fake than pop mm. music mm. You yeah. know what I mean? A style of music that's supposed to be right now, dude. So, so a, a style I mean, of sure. music that's supposed to be so real and so honest has turned so fake, and it's half the reason I don't identify with anything new anymore. You know, yeah. like I'm because again, I'm not hearing an honest representation of what the band is offering. It's out there. You got to dig for it. You got to dig. No, there, there is, is, but there it's is. a lot. It, there's not a lot of it in the metal. It's few and far between, though. Yeah. Is what what Derek's yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Few it's definitely and far not between. exactly. It's not like he, the, the big stuff that's like yeah. on all the all the. There's the, only an X amount of portals in the world. Exactly. You know what I mean? And even exactly. and even Immolation, who kept it true to form as long as Fuck they yeah. could, now oh, is riddled with yeah. sample drums. Are they really okay? I yeah. just saw them live. The, whole, the last yeah. couple I can't, records. I, I haven't listened know, like, to anything past. Uh, they're my favorite death metal band ever world, no yeah, criticizing world. to them but i would rather hear what they were doing totally on the drum side know? of thing and like seeing them live i just saw them at psycho fest a few weeks ago and i was like because I, I always put them kind of i don't know why i do this but i always kind of put them as like yeah they're fucking sick you know but not like they're fucking sick and i went and saw them live yeah. at, at psycho fest and i was like whoa that performance that they put on though just that live performance oh, they're great that, yeah that mm-hmm. the bald guitar player fucking forget his name every time but that guy Bob, fucking the Mur- yeah, yeah, Bob, yeah. <laughs> Murray fucking, clone. the Murray clone. That guy fucking <laughs> yeah. that guy is insane live. Is his stage presence and stuff? Oh, and, the whole and, band. Yeah, I mean they're yeah, cool. yeah. Oh, dude, seeing I him at the imagine at Bob, seeing them, like, them at the pound. Did you see him at the pound? Yeah, yeah, a few times. Oh, dude, it was yeah. fucking. Uh, it was. I was at church, dude. I <laughs> yeah. Oh, it literally shit. was like the Holy Spirit's oh. in my body. No, he wasn't actually at church. He was. <laughs> I might actually lose you guys. I got like four percent battery left. All right, let's wrap oh, this no. shit up. Yeah, I we have a. Uh, 
Do you, you have something? My... You have something? Okay. I think I have a charger here. <laughs> It's all right. Right. Hey, if, if I lose you, I lose you. Hanging with us, oh, dude. No, no, okay. Yeah, no, it's all no. good. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, he's at four percent and has no charger. So how? What number? What's our time right now, Casey? A little over two hour, two an hour. Yeah, we're twelve oh six. All right, dude. Well, your wife was hitting you up a while ago about dinner. We can wrap this right now. And... Oh, we eat late. So. All right, it's all good. <laughs> well, either way, dude. I mean, you can hang with right, us Derek. as long as, dude. You're Derek Roddy, dude. I'm not gonna fucking say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm always, I'm always game to, to come back and do whatever. And uh, hey, look, yeah, the offer yeah. still stands once I get the new cameras to do a uh, the Serpent's live stream. Oh, we're so good. Uh, so yeah, cool. Can then? we do like a Cali Death exclusive yeah, 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 yeah. deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have like an online party. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh dude, good. that would be okay, so okay. amazing, dude. Don't threaten us with a good time. Cool. Yeah, yeah, don't exactly. threaten me. <laughs> I will definitely yeah. be buying twice as many beers. There you oh, go. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. Thing. Well, Derek, I know you only have like 3 or 4% left on your, your laptop, so I don't want to fucking lose you in the middle of it. I'm so, down uh, to three now. Yeah, down to three. Yeah. So, okay. so, Derek, if you had to pick just one yeah. current drummer alive that's your favorite drummer in the world, like mine, I guess I would say Vinny Caliuta. I don't know. If oh, I'm that's right. every drummer. I know. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Dude, hang on. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you'll even be able to hear this. And I don't, oh, hopefully, I, put it up to the mic. Or, I also wanted to bring up your, your drum battle with Eric. I just remembered your your drum battle with Eric Moore is oh, like man. the sickest what? thing ever, dude. Yeah, in Russia, the yeah, that, like the Eric Moore, was, Alex Bent guy. Yeah, was, that was I fun. sent that shit to you, bro. Alex Bent was homies with. Oh, wait, oh, I, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, dude. No, that's all good. In, yeah, that was in Moscow. Dude, that was in Moscow. It was pretty funny. It was in, in Moscow? Moscow. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Wait, Alex is homie for the. Yes. Alex is homie. We were so, okay. oh, they said, I think they said Alex is homie. All right. Alex yeah. All right. Homie. So I don't know if you. So do you guys Alex know who you guys know who Todd Suckerman is? Yes. Yeah. Of He's a drummer for Sticks, yeah. right? That is great. He's gone. All right. So him and I have been like really good friends for for years. Right? Oh, sick. Yeah, yeah. And. uh he called me one day out of the blue and left me a voicemail message. Like one of his favorite drummers, obviously ever is Vinny. Yeah. You need to, like I said, ask any drummer, it's going to be Vinny. Yeah. And, um, so I was unaware of this, but, uh, Fred Armisen had done this special, uh, called stand up for drummers at great American music hall. It was like a comedy thing or whatever. It was at the one that I was talking about in the beginning of the episode, but yeah, go ahead. Right. So at the end of that, they got Clive Burr and Vinny Cayuta are at LA drum shop and they're trying to sell Fred Armisen, like a bunch of drum accessory shit. Right. And one of the things that he tries to sell is the Modern Drummer Festival DVD with me and Todd on it, right? Oh, really? And he's like, look, no, seriously, you got to buy this. It's got Todd Suckerman and Derek Roddy on it. <laughs> Vinny, Vinny Caliuta says this in the, in the, in the documentary, right? So, so I don't know if you're going to be able to hear this, but I'm going to try to make this work, and you'll laugh your ass off because it's hilarious. I, I, I can't wait. Hold on. Okay, Todd Zuckerman, how you doing, man? Uh, but can you hear that? Yeah. Hey, um, uh, it's on your 7th. Um, if you're in Florida, I don't know where in the world you could be. Uh, anyway, hey, uh, Fred Armisen did this uh, thing on Netflix. It's a comedy called Stand Up for Drummers
So I just went, I haven't seen the whole thing. I went to the end, and it's Vinny Klemberg at the program shop uh, trying to sell a bunch of stuff to Fred Armisen. And there's a, it's a whole montage thing, and then you just hear Vinny's uh, voice, like listing out drummers, like who use whatever he's trying to sell. And you hear Todd Zuckerman, Derek Roddy. So we both got name dropped by Vinny Caliuta and Fred Armisen's comedy thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought I should tell you. And maybe that person should be me, unless you know already. Anyway, it's kind of a buzz. Fucking weird. <laughs> so, dude i've totally seen that uh, special and i totally that's, so awesome. that's wiped from my memory that you dropped in it dude yeah so, yeah, yeah. Totally yeah watch it because it literally is, watch it again tonight maybe watch yeah, it it's, please, the, it's after the it's after the credits at the end like so you may not have even seen it Oh, it's, okay. uh, it's just okay. like Vinny. It's like a fuck off kind of thing, and they're like trying but to. But it's sell in there, shit. so everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. wants to watch this. It's Fred Armisen from SNL Portlandia. He's a yeah, drummer, yeah. and it yeah. was a drum specific comedy special. Naveen's right. at that. Naveen's at and, the taping, by the way. And oh shit, dude! So it's yeah. at the Great American Music Hall in San yeah. Francisco, and yeah. he literally set up drum sets throughout the whole entire bottom floor of it, yeah. and and you could. You can't come in unless you are a drummer and you have to prove it. You know, <laughs> right. They had a snare yeah, yeah, front yeah. of the fucking yeah. venue. Yeah. You had to That's really good. be able to play a beat in order Isn't to get into the fucking taping. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. So it's, yeah. a, it's, comp- it's a bunch of drummers inside great american music hall dude. yeah stand-up yeah. comedy special geared around being a drummer dude please yeah. watch it dude and and having it's funny body name dropped at the end you're fucking there's your bonus right there yeah and todd was like he was so ecstatic about it when he called me I could, you could hear it in his voice he was like oh it's totally a buzz yeah and that's called him, fucking hilarious dude. i Poor called him back amazing. and we laughed about it for for a good minute like man if i ever would have thought that video call you would have name dropped Jesus, you know what I mean, like, dude, that's like ridiculous. Uh, so I didn't funny. actually. But last point, real quick, before we wrap this up, is that I didn't know that every drummer's favorite drummer is. Vin- I literally just pulled up a YouTube thing of Vinny Caliuta. I'm, I'm gonna listen to all of it, but that's like every drummer's favorite drummer. I mean, that's it's so just he's the most dude. I'll give it all right. So he did a Megadeth record and a Faith Hill record in the same day. What Jesus. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what? So that just gives you an idea of like. Yeah, just yeah. He's probably played on more records. I mean, there's probably only three or four or five other drummers in history that have been. He's probably been on five thousand records or more. I mean, it's ridiculous. God damn, dude, that's like Sly and Robbie. Sly and Robbie's like a hundred and twenty thousand rhythms, dude. Commercials and and all kinds of stuff, man. Like you've heard him, and you probably didn't even know you were listening to him. Yeah, yeah. he's a gangster, dude. Just check it out. Yeah, Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, Probably yeah. the most proficient recording drummer in history. I mean, he, he, yeah. And his Rolodex of shit that's in his head that he can just pull out, it's it's beyond, like, the vocabulary is beyond, like, what most people would ever gather in their lifetime. I mean, so it's, it's like it's, mental, it's like mental amazingness along with his obviously playing. So he's got this, like, this yeah. retention of, of music. He's one of the few that has both. You know, he's yeah, got, like, exactly. he can play anything, but he knows when not to, you know. And he's yeah. all remember what we were talking about before with the space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yep. he he lives in the in that space between those notes. Dude. You know, that's and that's what makes him so great. And it doesn't that, matter what style of music he's playing. That really the one thing you want to look up if you really want to watch him is uh 
with Chick Korea at the Blue Note in Tokyo with Vinny. I'm watch it right now. Just, I'm watch it after just type in type in Chick Korea Blue Note Tokyo Vinny Kaluta and and just watch any of that. And that was a fill in gig that he did for Dave Weckle. Weckle's wife went into labor early, and he had Blue to Note. fly out. So Vinny flew in, like literally got out of bed, got on a flight, flew to Tokyo, and did this fucking gig. Wow. And it's all on video. I mean, it's, is it John, John Patitucci on bass? Yep. John okay, cool. Patitucci on bass. Fuck yeah. I got to yeah. pull up. Yeah. Fucking yeah. Notices. Watch that. That's like that right there alone is probably some of the best drumming ever filmed. Damn. Dude. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. You said re- it, man. I'm just ready you know. There's so yeah, much in this episode. I think that a lot of people are going to go dig and find. Yeah. Well, I mean, some, they just, a lot Derek of Roddy just said episode. that. Fucking, this is the best drumming ever filmed. I'm just letting you guys know. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, to, to know the circumstances and to what dude, dude's playing with a cigarette hanging half out of his mouth. Like, yep, I can he's see it reading, right there. He's <laughs> reading the fucking piano chart. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. You know, Chick gave him the fucking piano chart. He's like, sure. Just, yeah, fucking. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, in his pajamas. Like Chick yeah. and John are in like you know a suit and shit. Benny's up there in like sweatpants and the muscle shirt. Like, eh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. It's, it's in Tokyo. Absolutely Tokyo? Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, ninety two. Got it. Pulled up. Yep. Locked and absolutely insane, man. Fuck yeah, dude. This yeah. is awesome, dude. Yeah, this I'm, is cool. Man. I, this oh, is like yeah. one of the first episodes I want to go back to to figure out all the gems I think we talked about tonight. Yep, yeah, dude. exactly. Exactly. Also, this one doesn't fit. Uh, this one doesn't work. I have a plug here, but it doesn't work. All right, no, I'm going to lose you guys, so I'll all right, catch you all right, later. That's all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Perfect yeah, time yeah. to wrap dude, it up, dude. Let's do it again. Yeah, so Derek, fun, man. dude, you oh, yeah, dude. are always welcome to come back, dude. Let's do that live thing. Let's do that. Well, as I'm sure, yeah, we'll do that. That'd be cool. Had a blast tonight, dude. Yeah, man. Totally. This is a monumental thing for our channel, our our show. So thank you so much for, uh, you know boosting us giving <laughs> us dude it's funny we get we we're gonna get a uh derek roddy bump our show's oh, gonna yeah. get a bump versus uh, our i don't know about that bump. you might lose viewers <laughs> <laughs> hell no dude dude like i said you are the quintessential death metal drummer when somebody thinks of a death metal drummer you are that dude so thank you so much dude for no, giving us you. all all the greatness for so long oh. Um, respect dude mad respect bro mad respect and uh same here keep it alive (laughs) that's what we're doing with this dude we want to fucking keep this shit going dude so thanks you thank you thanks you thanks all you people that still are here (laughs) listening to me babble right now um (laughs) and we'll see you next week with a fucking pretty big deal if i might say so myself it's a big deal Oh, yeah, uh, let's yeah. just say it's our it's our uh, our fir- our first year anniversary of the show, so we m- might be bringing it very very hard. But thank you so much, subscribers. Thank hit up Derek anywhere people can buy merch. Uh, all right, Derek Roddy Live uh, dot cool. com, Serpentrise dot com. But of course, catch me on Facebook and Instagram, all that crap too. So, yeah. Cool, cool, sick, dude. We're a year into this, and we still don't do that in the beginning. It's like, yeah, man. We need to do that in the fucking nah. beginning, dude. Hey, KC, hit me up. You give me a text message up. We'll hook up later. Oh, oh hell great. yeah. Dude. Okay. Hell yeah, dude. Can you so record sick. all that? Oh, all right. Good. Love Catch you guys. You Love yeah. you. All of you guys. We'll see you next week. Fuck yeah. Later, guys. Fuck Thanks. Yeah. Later, man. Peace. Fuck later. yeah. Yeah, man.